Welcome to another episode of the Renegade Detroit Investors Podcast. I'm your host, Jeremy Burgess, professional real estate investor, permaculture, and urban farmer, curmudgeon, skeptic, and Keller Williams agent. One is Renegade Detroit Investors. RDI is a local real estate investment and business group that meets monthly at various locations throughout Metro Detroit. This group's about networking and doing deals. The St. Your Grandma's Rhea, folks. No guru bullshit from the front of the room. No smell of stale coffee, been gay, and or disappointment. RDI is also this podcast where once a week I sit down with interesting and successful business people getting shit done, and I pick their brain for your entertainment and hopefully also education. And if you enjoy this podcast, do me a favor, subscribe, give it a like, share it. And if you haven't yet, um, please rate it on iTunes. That really does help. That's one of the only ways it can move up in iTunes. So if you wouldn't mind taking a minute and doing that, I would really appreciate it. All right. Uh, if you're interested in attending the local meetings, go to meetup.com forward slash Renegade Detroit Investors or facebook.com forward slash Detroit Investment Club. If you're interested in, or have any comments or suggestions, go to renegadedetroit.com. Hit me up on Twitter and Instagram at Jeremy Burgess. And I'm on Snapchat at Jeremy A. Burgess. And as always, go to youtube.com forward slash user forward slash Detroit Wholesalers. All right, legal disclaimer. In no way, shape, or form should anything that I and or my guests say be taken as legal and or investment advice. We highly recommend that before you make any investment decision or decisions, you contact a local attorney and or other licensed professionals. Be an adult. Don't fucking sue me. All right. Time for the show quote of the week where I try and pick a quote that sets the tone not just for the podcast, but hopefully for your entire week. And this one, I went and pulled off Alan Daniels' Facebook wall, so I know he approves. My father didn't tell me how to live. He lived and let me watch him do it. Clarence Kelland. My father didn't tell me how to live. He lived and let me watch him do it. Let me introduce my guest, Alan Daniels, which before I do that, today is exactly today. In fact, it'll be a week later by the time you listen to it, but this is the 53rd episode of the Renegade Joint Investors podcast. Mr. Alan Daniels was the first episode. So welcome, Alan. Thank you very much. You know, that podcast was so long, it almost lasted a year. So, it it uh, did. I think uh, we did the longest one to date, although we got close with, I don't know if you listened to the one with Dennis Fast, we did three hours and 30 minutes, which is still chump change. Yeah. We got an extra 15 yeah, he, minutes. He was close. Yeah. In fact, uh, Dennis suggested a panel. Um, I'm not, I, I know it was he and, and uh, myself and I can't remember who else he suggested, but, uh, you, a panel is a good idea. No, we should totally do that. Yeah. yeah. Well, if you remember who else he suggested too, let's do it. I, let, let me I, introduce you real quick though. All right. So Dr. Daniel and son, which by the way, go back and listen to episode one, because if you want to know who Alan Daniels is and why he's here, it's a great episode. The sound quality does kind of suck and it's also on youtube um i didn't realize at the time what kind of equipment i needed and i had no clue what i was doing per usual with jeremy so well that reel to reel thing was tough yeah but we, we went through multiple <laughs> cameras it was batteries yeah energy drinks it was rough that's why i picked that because i knew he could just talk and carry the podcast so all right so let me i'm gonna introduce you to him right um introduce him to you right now but go back and listen to number one i know it's a long time and we also got some questions about um Dodd Frank and all that, and that we went we that was covered extensively in that. So, all right, Doctor Daniels and Son Investment Real Estate Capital offers direct private money for real estate investment. The Daniels family has been investing in real estate and purchasing land contracts and private seller held notes and mortgages for three generations. Alan Daniels has been licensed in Michigan real estate since 1988. 
In addition to being a third generation real estate investor, Alan has served in many key leadership positions within real estate and more and mortgage trade associations of on the local state and national level. Sorry, I can't read. In Michigan, Alan served as president of the Michigan Mortgage Brokers Association in 2000. <coughs> Sorry, guys. Broker of the year 2001, two and three was the first recipient of the MMBA Lifetime Achievement Award in 2004. In addition to his work with Michigan, Allen previously served in the National Association of Mortgage Brokers, Treasurer, Director, and Regional Vice Chair of the NAMB. What is that? National Association of Mortgage Brokers. Yeah, basically he's done it, folks. <clears throat> Allen served five terms as Chairman of the State of Michigan Mortgage Industry Advisory Board that makes recommendations to the Director of the Department of Insurance and Financial Services, the state agency that regulates mortgages and land contracts. In 2011 and 12, Allen served on the Insurance and fin- Finance Ad- Finance Advisory Rules and Committees. Advisory. And f- yeah, fuck all this shit, man. You've done a lot of stuff. <laughs> well, that one's the best acronym of all, though. The Insurance and Finance Advisory Rules Committee of the Office of Regulatory Reinvention. So <laughs> it, it, it's IFARC, man. You know, IFARC? It's thing it was a committee and not a task force. Yeah, you know? IFARC. I okay. fuck. <laughs> I can't even read it. I'm going to skip down. The, okay, just know that he's done a ton of stuff. The Board of Governors, the Michigan Mortgage Lenders Association, uh, Michigan Realtor, CE Marketplace Content Review Task Force, um, Licensing Task Force, member of both uh, conventional chairman. Yeah, (laughs) come on, man. Um, Alan is also uh, an approved real estate and mortgage continuing education instructor and has frequently testified as an industry expert before committees of the Michigan Senate and House of Representatives and has been published in numerous mortgage and real estate trade journals and media outlets, including the Washington Times, Bloomberg, NPR, Michigan Radio, and the Wall Street Journal. Alan's a lifelong resident of Bloomfield Township, where he resides with his lovely wife, Kelly, his son, Michael, and daughter, Leah. Leah. Leah, damn. Alan is a graduate of the University of Michigan in Ann Arbor. Reach out to him, 248-335-6166. And that's Alan, double L, A-L-L-A-N, Daniels, at gmail.com. Hit him up on his website, Dr. Daniels and Son, dot com or cash for the number four landcontracts.com. Welcome, sir. It's good to be here. Thank you very much. Even though I butchered your bio, sorry yeah, about that. That's okay. You know, maybe the third tradition an- now. The third anniversary <laughs> will get it right. You know Yeah. I don't know how to do all those acronyms. The bottom line is you you what would you call it? Uh, create an atmosphere of compliance or something like A that. Culture of compliance. Culture yeah. of compliance. You take that very seriously, obviously. Yeah. So. It's um you know, it's something that I strive for and then I think it's you know, it's good for the industry of as a whole to have that as a goal. Um, you know, because as we saw in the mortgage industry, when there were some bad deeds done by the bad actors, the rest of us are the babies in the bathwater that got thrown out and are dealing with these new regulations. Um, so I think if we all sort of play within the rules or play by the rules, um, we can make a living and then continue for the next generation to leave them a chance to earn a living before we all get regulated out of existence by the rule, you know, because of the rule breakers. Yeah, well, that's the interesting thing, too. You're not doing it because you love rules. You're doing it to show that investors can comply and leave us alone to do our job because we're not trying to screw everybody, right? Yeah, I, I mean, it, it's it's more difficult now, certainly. I mean, there were things that, uh, you know, that have changed. There's things that have changed 
And, um, you know, that, I mean, I guess the best analogy, I used it first in the Renegade Live speech I did, uh, when was that, in 2012 or 13 that you had me come over there? Yeah, it's been a minute. Yeah, but um, where we talked about, you know, when you're, you're involved in a business that's legal one day, and then the next day it's not, you can either become a lawbreaker or you have to, you know, adapt. And the best analogy for that is, in looking at history, is the Stroh family and the Stroh Brewery in Detroit. When their product was outlawed, uh, they started manufacturing ice cream. And it's ironic that you'll still see Stroh's ice cream parlors around today, and the brewery uh, is long gone, although Pabst, I think, owns it, and they're going to be brewing a little bit of batches in Detroit again. So that's, uh, you know, rejuvenation. But I think that's, you know, when we look at Dodd-Frank and we look at other things that have changed in real estate and real estate finance, um, you know, if the rules change, you've got to adapt because what's uh, legal one day may not be the legal the next. Yeah, and it doesn't make a lot of sense to persist because you never know when they're going to come around and make an example out of somebody, right? It could be you, you it, know. It, it could be you, and then um, you know, you also have um, you know the the press or the media and you know bloggers and so forth. I mean, with today's technology, it's a lot easier for a misstep uh, to be discovered, and um, you know, so the the media and the regulator may you know, if they find a compelling story, you know, a victim, um, you know, then, you know, it tends to, to percolate up and get people's attention, including politicians who are looking to get reelected. And how do you get reelected? You know, by passing laws, they don't get reelected by saying, well, let's enforce the ones that are already out there. Um, because that's a regulator. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. That's what, that's, that's one of the things that, um, You've had a lot of, you've had a big influence on the way I think and kind of how I do it because Jeremy does everything weird. You know, they say, what would Jesus do? So I say, what would I want it to look like if I was in front of Elizabeth Warren? And she was her pointing her little finger talking about, even though she's a multimillionaire, how, you know, what would Elizabeth Warren think, right? Because that, I think, is a direction we're heading. I, I think so. I, I think it shows a little bit of a generational difference. But I remember uh, hearing a speaker one time talk about ethics. And um, the way he you know, described it in his uh, presentation, he said, you know, ethics, um, you, know, it, it, you, know, you know it when you see it, but it's very hard to define. I think that was what the Supreme Court said about uh, obscenity, too. Yeah. But... Um, you know, ethics is one of those things that that is hard to look at straight lines. But what this speaker said, he said, if if you know, you may there may be a difference between legal and ethical. But if Mike Wallace and his sixty minutes crew comes to your yeah. front door or your office with the microphones and camera, you know, how are you going to feel defending your actions? And if you feel that, you know, you can do that fine, then, you know, it's probably ethical. And, you know, so, you know, what, uh, you know, 10, 15, 20 years ago was Mike Wallace, you know, you've now are, are saying Elizabeth Warren, but we're really speaking the same language and using the same analogy. Yeah. If everybody knew and somebody in power was asking you questions, how would it look? Right. So, so I pass that on just so you're aware. I tell people like, oh, I try, try and do everything like what, what would Elizabeth Warren think if I sit in front of her? Cause we all know what she thinks. So why don't you, um, catch us up? It's been a whole year since you've been on the podcast and I know that you've been doing some different things and some interesting things. So let's talk about what you're working on right now in business. Well, in business, um, our, our focus over the, the last few years has been, uh, business purpose lending. Uh, you know, what we, where we found a niche and, and, you know, a market or, uh, is, 
in marketing to landlords that have already used up their limit of conventional loans that they can get, which that number is sometimes fluid, but typically it's 10 or so. And so we'll, we've done a, a few um, blanket loans to landlords. Um, we'll also, you know, loan to, to flippers as, as well, but we uh, have a preference to longer term, which fits towards the buy and hold. We'll do the shorter term, but uh, then we've got to redeploy our capital after we get paid back. So we'd prefer things that are a little longer term, but, you know, we'll take what, you know, as long as it makes common sense, I tell people what the boundaries are. And this is uh, similar to your last statement, but, you know, if it makes business sense, um, it makes common sense, uh, not overly complicated, in other words, and it's legal and ethical, you know, we'll do it. So, um, you know, we've got capital, we've got some real estate knowledge. um, You know, so if there's investments that make sense, whether it's buying a home for our our, our own portfolio to, you know, to, to fix up and, and sell or, or maybe hold. Um, we'll do that, but we'll also help other investors as well that might be considered property rich and cash poor. Yeah. Word on the street is um, also you're doing some new construction funding of some sort. Yeah. We're, we're looking into that. We, we It's a little bit outside the box for us. So it's not something we're marketing. Um, you know, as, as you know, sometimes, uh, you know, whether it's real estate or, or another business, um, you know, you, you, you get to, to know someone and, um, you know, they present a deal to you that, that, you know, might make sense. Um, you know, so we're, we're putting our toe in the water and some things, uh, selectively, um, but, uh, not so much with construction lending, but maybe, you know, an equity investment, okay. um, you know, yeah. so the ground up construction lending, there's really a lot of moving parts with, um, you know, lean releases. And I don't have a ton of construction background myself. And when we have dabbled in that, things have gone wrong. So, you know, learning from mistakes, um, you know, we've learned sort of not to do construction lending so much, but, um, you know, but selectively, um, you know, it, it, I think, you know, a real estate partnership or any type of business partnership is sort of like dating. So you might start with formal something, maybe, you know, having coffee in the afternoon and then maybe you'd have dinner and then, um, you know, but when you decide to be partners on a deal with someone, you know, you, you better know them and know the people they know and, and, um, you know, and, you know, so, so, you know, and occasionally we'll go outside the box. Um, you know, we, we did a, uh, an equity investment out of state, uh, you know, maybe two, three years ago, and that's gone fairly well. That was highly recommended to us by our attorney. And, um, you know, and, and this one we're exploring now, um, you know, we'll, we'll keep our fingers crossed that it works out. Yeah. That background noise was me knocking on wood. Knocking on wood here. Yeah. here. I was going to turn the mic so that yeah. uh, you'd pick it up because I learned it's unidirectional. Well, they'll hear a little bit in the <laughs> oh, background, okay. not, but not, right. not very okay. much. We'll see if it survives uh, post-production okay. too. Sometimes right. it doesn't. Well, as you know, I wear hearing aids, so I hear most of the background and not always what's in front of me. So, <laughs> you know, technology is great, you know, when it works. Yeah. yeah did you get Bluetooth ones? Too? Yeah, I do. Which yeah, is so yeah, awesome. I yeah, have no it, idea. It, it, it's, you know, it's funny. It's like anything else, whether it's your phone or, or you know it's, they're cheaper and they do more uh, it's still not perfect because um, you know sometimes when I'm least expecting it the phone call will come through my hearing aids and I'm trying to listen to something else and <laughs> a little um, shocking yeah it um, but uh, it is it it's pretty cool you know 
You know, my generation, we run around with earbuds in our ears all the time. Yeah. So that's, that's why I'm I love that old. No, <laughs> okay. Not that old. Hey, compared to us, man. Uh, okay. Uh, yeah. You, you're the, you're the grizzly vet, which I had a question actually. Okay. So you've been in business forever. If you can do it succinctly and off the top of your head, because I think this brings a good point, right? Part of surviving many economies, many administrations, whatever political thing wave happens to become, whatever business, I'm, all of that has an effect on business and your life. I imagine where you started is not where you're at now. How many shifts did you have to make in your business up until today? It doesn't have to be an exact number, but you've had to retool several times. Am I correct? Yeah. I mean, the biggest, you know, you had the combination of the real estate meltdown in the mid 2000s and, you know, the nation caught a cold, but Michigan got pneumonia was, you know, what way I heard it described. And I think those of us that are in Michigan might've thought it was worse than pneumonia. Yeah. But, um, you know, and then when you think or thought things were recovering, that's when there was a uh, you know, just this tidal wave of regulatory change. So, um, you know, so I, I, you know, you can look at that as one time period as one change, but really it's almost like tossing and turning through a night's sleep. I mean, that whole episode, you know, you don't know where you're going to land. And, you know, you, you think when, you know, when the economy uh, stabilizes, okay, you can pick up where you left off, but the, the world was different. Yeah. And, um, you know, so I think it's just constant. You've got to, you know, evaluate, just like you'll evaluate each deal, you've got to look at, you know, the, the, whether it's the regulatory environment or whether it's, um, you know, the competition changes. Um, you know, I remember, you know, it didn't really mean a whole lot, but when we moved into our current building, which was after my dad sold the building where his dental office was located, um, we had a clause in our lease that, uh, you know, we were, we have a, a mortgage license, of course, that, and the lease said that we were to be the only mortgage company in the office building. Well, you know, a couple of years later, you know, there's another one upstairs and I talked to the landlord and he says, oh, does it say that? You know, so then, you know, I'm, you know, so then you got, okay, are you, you know, are you after the same market um, or what if they do something bad and then someone says, you know, that crooked mortgage company on Woodward or something, you know, so there's, you know, there's more worries. I mean, you you know, but generationally, some of these are the same concerns that, you know, other businesses have. I, my dad told me the story, it was before I was born, but, you know, he opened his dental practice. He hired a dental assistant, Uh, you know, the practice grew a little bit and he hired another dentist as an associate. And then before too long, uh, the associate and the dental assistant opened across the street and took the book of patients. You know, literally it was a book, not a disc or anything. And, um, now lo and behold, my dad and that other dentist are are very good friends now. I mean, it's, you know, maybe 50, 60 years later, I mean, you know, but I mean, and it didn't take that long to heal, but I mean, you know, so you, you don't know the way things are, are going to end up. I'm, um, you know, so I, I think, um, I, I don't know if I answered your questions as far as how many changes, but I, I think the answer would be it's constant. Yeah. Constant change. It's always changing. It's never staying the same yeah. and you can't ever go back either. So that's something I know is everybody, I think everybody, I heard it described too. It's like going to a party getting really drunk, wasted, maybe doing some drugs. It's like 2005 and six, right? And then wake up the next morning, that's seven, eight, nine, whatever. But 
you expect at some point to wake back up drunk. No, you don't wake back up drunk. You wake back up normal. You can't ever go back to that. <laughs> like it's gone. It's done. And for me, it was all I ever knew too. Cause young guy, right? Dumb. No idea what I'm doing. I just thought that's literally, I think, I don't think I'm alone on this. People just think that's what it's like always. And it hasn't always been. Yeah. The, the strangest thing, I mean, I was a kid in the seventies, uh, in, in, you know, early eighties, I graduated college in the late eighties, but, um, you know, I remember, you know, seeing interest rates really high, but values of real estate, of course they didn't skyrocket, you know, in the seventies and eighties, but they didn't go down. So I think that episode we went through in the mid 2000s was really, you know, the first in, you know, just about everybody's lifetime uh, where, where values plummeted. I mean, real estate, there would be times where there'd be no market. You couldn't sell or maybe, you know, there wasn't adequate financing available, but uh, we never really saw that plummeting of values. Um, so that was really different. And it was a first time. And, you know, we, we prepare for cycles or we, you know, in the back of our mind, we figure, okay, we're in a good cycle there, you know, usually after a good, there's a lousy, Yeah. but, but as far as that, uh, depression of, uh, values now we've recovered now and our memories are short, but I think, you know, now, you know, you're going to remember, you know, somebody will say, well, things always go up. No, they don't, no. you know, and, you know, and, and it's not just a matter of staying the same. It's a matter of, you know, going down and that can happen. And then also the, the culture of, um, you know, I, I think of, um, of borrowing borrowers changed at that time, because I think the, the moral, uh, commitment or, um, you know, the obligation to pay the, I promise to pay in writing meant a lot more, um, years ago. And, and now, um, Either, you know, we had an erosion of that, and I don't know if that's ever going to come back. So you better have, um, you know, make sure there's equity. Now, not to say there aren't honorable people out there too, but it's not something you can really count on. Um, that's you know, a big a culture given. shift. You, yeah, you better, you know, better check things out. I know a lot of people's attitude towards it is I would consider very poor, right? Everybody, you know, here I just just declare bankruptcy. Just go. That's that's one of the reasons why I haven't declared bankruptcy, even though I probably have a freaking really good reason to, right? Um, it's exactly what it's designed for, but I don't know. It just it, it rubs me it rubs me the wrong way. But how do you play in a in a system where, unfortunately, a lot of negative behavior is rewarded and relatively quickly too, right? Well, I think it's you know to have these types of conversations, or you see people that have had struggles and then you know, may have honored their commitments or have, you know, uh, you know, worked out their commitments rather than, you know, sort of trying to avoid them or, you know, using the system or playing games or, you know, looking at technicalities and things like that to, you know, to avoid promises they made. But I, I think, you know, you look at people's, you know, past behavior is probably indicative of the future. And, um, you know, you, but you have to be aware that, it is a chess game and you have to try to look at, okay, if, 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 if something happens, you know, what, how, how could this play out? Now, that being said, you know, you, if, if you're too cautious, I mean, if you want to avoid all risk, you can stay in bed every day. Yeah. I mean, and <laughs> maybe the house, you know, there could money. be a tornado and the house could crumble on top of you, but yeah. you know, but I mean, you, you're probably not going to, um, you know, make a regulatory misstep or, or do business with, uh, you know, an, an uh, unsavory person or person that, you know, fools you. Um, but on the other hand, you're going to have 
trouble, you know, earning a living too. So I, I think you've got to balance that risk. Um, and I think you said that, you know, one of the topics you wanted to talk about today was due diligence. Yeah. And, you know, so, um, not that, you know, I, I've been called a perfectionist, but it, uh, my brother, who's a psychologist, and I think to sort of <laughs> twist that knife in me, he told me, he says, yeah, you're a perfectionist, huh? And I said, yeah, you know, that's a good thing to aim at. He says, you know, it's an unattainable goal. And I'm like, okay, you're making up for all that time I picked on you when yeah. you were growing up. But I mean, it, it's true. And, and sometimes that can be frustrating because, you know, you, if you ha- if you set your, uh, expectations too high for yourself, you're, you're going to be disappointed. Um, so it's okay to aim high. And that was actually the uh, slogan of my, my high school and, and also the U S air force. But, um, but also realize that, you know, perfection, you know, as my brother wisely said, um, I guess if you have a PhD, you can say that. Um, but he said, uh, you know, perfection is an unattainable goal. So you're not going to bat a thousand. There's a lot of things you can learn from sports about getting back up and, you know, or that, you know, the best hitter in ba- baseball, Ted Williams, in his best year got out six out of 10 times. So you're, you, you know, whether you're cold calling and tried to puff yourself up for the next call after you've had, you know, three dozen uh, hang-ups or, or, you know, people telling you to F you. Do you know what time it is? Yeah. Yes, do you? Yeah, it's the, it's the legal time to make cold cold calls to people that are not on the do not call list. Yes, I'm actually <laughs> but, going to say that next time. Yeah. But, you know, Just that's not going to help wondering. you make the deal. No, yeah. no, of course uh, not. But anyway. Well, um, Doug you, Benson you, has a funny line, and I don't know if this is true about your um, due diligence list, but he says in his lease that every clause has a story. I imagine as many years as you've been in business, your due diligence list is significantly longer than it was when you started. And there's probably a story behind most of them. Yeah, right? there's there's stories behind a, a lot of, um, you know, these things. And I think even in the, you know, if you look at like uh, Fannie Mae mortgage forms and things like that, there's a story. When I started in the business, uh, you know, the, the Fannie Mae mortgage, I think was, uh, it was three and a half pages, 11, I'm sorry, eight and a half by 14. So legal size. Now, you know, now the standard mortgage, they've gone down to letter size, eight and a half by 11, but I think it's like 30 pages. Yeah. Um, you know, and the note was like a page and a half. I talked to a, uh, grizzled veteran at a title company. She said when she started, you know, the mortgage was like, you know, front and back of one page and the note was a half a page. So, um, and I also talked to a, a owner of a title company who said that the average residential closing package for more, you know, mortgage closing, not a cash deal, of course, is now thicker than a commercial deal. And, um, you know, it was always the other way around, but, uh, you know, you can say it's either things people have learned and that usually commercial side is because that's what made them so thick, but, um, you know, residential, it's the same thing. Um, now alluding to stories from landlords, I heard a, a good one, one time, uh, this was told to me by another landlord and he was telling the story of negotiating with, uh, one of his tenants and, um, you know, the tenant is reading over the lease. It must've been an engineer. And, um, you know, so he's wording word for word and the landlord's sitting there patiently waiting for him to have his questions. And he's, you know, so the tenant finally says, Mr. Landlord, um, you know, I'm reading this list, this lease and 99.5% of these things in here are, are in your favor. And the landlord says, well, I have two comments for that. And the first one is, you know, all you have to do to make none of that really matter. And the, the tenant says, well, what? And the landlord says, pay. Yeah. So, you know, that made the guy feel a lot of calmer. And then the landlord, you know, and then the tenant says, well, what's the other thing, Mr. Landlord? Landlord says, oh, yeah. Can you tell me what that 
0.5% is so I can <laughs> so I can go back and change it. <laughs> yeah. So um, point that out to me because yeah. I want to know. Yeah, because yeah, it was designed to all be in my favor. Yeah. But again, how did I let that 0.5% slip? Exactly. You know, he's probably mad at his attorney that drafted it. But um, but meanwhile, I mean, that's you know basically to diffuse that. All the person has to do is honor what they said they were going to do. And, you know, but because, you you know, you, there's a, a bad actor, bad apple, whatever, um, you know, here and there, um, you know, that's why all those clauses are inserted. And then, you know, sometimes you, you find that people change. Uh, you know, sometimes it what triggers it might be a divorce uh, or maybe you know, um, you know, they just, uh, you know, have emotional problems or maybe they've just changed, um, and they're not the same person. So some, you know, you can't really predict, um, but you try to do your best, you know, but I think that's why you got to document it and do your due diligence and, you know, in case they, things don't work out the way you planned. Yeah. Cause that's the way it usually does too. And that, and I understand we're kind of in a spot where, and I don't know, you've been around longer, so maybe this is just my, my perception, Capital doesn't appear to be as well respected as it was before. Now, I don't know if that's just because I haven't been around long enough, but it seems like capital isn't appreciated and or respected, and the accumulation of capital is now a very bad thing. Now, it's only bad when you have it. When they're stealing it, it's it's perfectly acceptable, and you get a pat on the back, right? Thanks for doing your – but on the on a bigger scale, you can borrow more than you ever could before. You can – there's even more ways to acquire debt. The federal government seems to be frivolous with the debt. The banks, the big banks seem to be frivolous with, with it as well. And it, it kind of trickles down to the state and even the county and the city of Detroit went bankrupt. So I wonder if, I don't know, was the attitude towards capital different back when you started or is that a shift you've noticed as well? I, I, actually, I've noticed um, it's, it's like many things. It's a pendulum that goes back and forth. Um, you know, if you think about it, I, I was a, I was a kid in the seventies. So, you know, you, you've got, you know, the, 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 you know, my teachers in elementary school, you know, male teachers had ponytails and, you know, the hippie movement and things like that. And, you know, the, uh, that, you know, Woodstock generation, I guess was a little bit before me, but in the seventies, you know, business people were not cool. It was, you know, the hippies <laughs> were the cool people and the, you business know, people weren't cool. You no, know, but then, you know, the pendulum sort of swung the other way, um, you know, in the eighties when, you know, you had the, the yuppies and, you know, um, and then, you know, uh, you know, th- that was cool again to, 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 earn, you know, to make money or start a business. And then, you know, more recently it, it, it's maybe turning back a little bit, uh, to the way it was when I was a kid. So I, I think, you know, it, it's just a cycle that, um, that the nation seems to go through, um, you know, because certainly, there's people that maybe don't fit in, you know, that stereotypical, you know, there certainly were a lot of business people doing okay, you know, while the, you know, hippie movement was going on. And there were certainly some people, particularly in Ann Arbor, in, you know, where I was in the eighties that, that weren't yuppies, but, and there, I remember having professors, um, you know, some of the more liberal professors that had been around since the sixties and seventies were, were very frustrated with the eighties students that were, you know, sort of interested in getting a good GPA and not so much with, you know, marching on the diag and, and, and doing things. And, you know, I remember one professor, um, you know, 
lectured us about that. He says, you know, you're just here to, to get through it and, you know, and learn and, and take the exam rather than learn and, and deploy. And, and, you know, and, but, you know, again, it's a different type of student. It's a different type of professor. Um, but, you know, I, I just think, um, you know, you, you have these cycles that you go through and I think it'll swing back now, you know, but when you're a little bit younger, that's all, you know, I mean, I didn't know I wasn't a kid in the sixties, like the early mad men, um, you know, when business was like, you know, that going on. I mean, I grew up, um, you know, late sixties through the seventies, went to college in the eighties. So, um, you know, I, that was the first shift I saw, but then I saw it sort of, okay, now it's more liberal again. And okay. That I remember it was this way before, maybe it'll go back again. And I predict it does. Time marches on. Well, that's yeah. good to know. All right, let's get to these Facebook questions. Okay. I put out some, um, so I put out a post. Why did it go away? I do not understand Facebook. Do you have them? I think I might. Um, yeah, let's well, see here. Let's see um, if you can do the first one when I pull it back up. I apologize, folks. I had it set and uh, fuck you, Mark Zuckerberg, where I can't leave it on the page I had pulled up and. Well, you have to keep refreshing it all the time. Okay, let's see here. A view post from Jeremy Burgess. Okay. Now, you're going to have to prepay for tech support, Jeremy. <laughs> prepay? <laughs> yeah. Do you, can we work out a payment plan? Yeah, okay. All, <laughs> all right. that talk? So I, I got to do my due diligence. Okay, well, we, we've now got 31 likes, so, you know. All right. All right. So first? you want me to read yeah, these? Yeah, please. I'm looking. looking I'm still okay. looking. Yeah. What's the All first right. question? Um, let's see. We're going to be talking about due diligence and what questions would you like me to ask them? So now I'm sort of like asking myself. Uh, first one, why don't you write these job. down? You're and doing then, a great job, Alan. Okay. Keep going. This, welcome to Alan Daniels podcast. Uh, <laughs> a suburban Detroit investor. <laughs> Non-renegade. <laughs> you know. Culture compliance podcast. Yeah. I'm your host, yeah. Alan Daniels. Yeah. Everything's vanilla today. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Uh, only four letter word is what cash. Be, okay. Yeah. Um, Dave Sullivan. Can I say the names? Absolutely. Okay. Yeah. Has anything changed with land contracts? Anything new? Uh, then Ryan asked, how does he handle unexpected discoveries and due diligence that aren't accounted for in the PA? I would, how, can we just say profanity? Um, <laughs> 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 that's how I respond to everything. So yeah. yes, we okay. can totally but say that. that. That's Jervis. Yeah, uh, that's my okay. response. And then I asked him, can you provide an example? And he gave us three environmental list pendants, act of God. I'll let you define the act of God. Yeah. Um, and uh, then Jeff, are you aware of any investigations that the CFPB has initiated regarding land contracts or lease options? Has anyone successfully contested a CFPB fine? Has anyone taken them to court? Have any cases been decided? Um, whoops. Now I hit the wrong button. That's here. all right. And then I said, can you ask Alan to explain what Dodd-Frank is and what we newer investors need to be cautious of? I could just say be cautious of Dodd-Frank. Yeah. <laughs> all, right, all right. Well, you, you know, treat it with kid gloves. Don't poke it with a stick. Yeah. You I make it mad. Well, um, you, you want me to just sort of pick these up randomly or you want to? Yeah, no, let's, let's go with the Dodd-Frank one because I think you, you covered it in detail, but let's give Dave Roberts a 10,000-foot uh, view okay. of what he should be afraid yeah, of. Well, we'll give him the, the Mile High uh, Club version. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it, it's getting it, hot in here, Alan. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm glad the door's open. Yeah. Uh, in any event, um, the I think, you know, 
Dodd Frank, I mean, it's about two thousand pages, so we're not going to cover it in even no. the four hour limit from last time or something. <laughs> but um, half of that was Wall Street reform; the other half dealt with uh, primarily mortgage financing. But buried in there um, is rules regarding seller financing. So I think you know there's a couple of things that newer investors need to be aware of. Um, you know, and it, it, it's mainly your exit strategies because in, in years past, you know, you could buy a property. If you're flipping, for example, you could buy a property, uh, fix it up, sell it with seller financing, sell it to someone that could get a mortgage. They could get an FHA mortgage, a VA mortgage, maybe even, and I'm going to dare I say, subprime mortgage, dun, dun, dun. Um, non, which used to be called non-conforming or, you know, uh, but in any event, you know, there were a lot of ways to sell a property. Um and, you know, now, you you know, that buyer, it first of all, you, you're going to want to make sure that they fit in the box, which is now a smaller box to get mortgage financing. And you're very limited, particularly as an investor, even homeowners are on the on seller financing and the, the risk of making a misstep. And, and Jeff is talking, you know, in a prior question about the fines and investigations. But the the risk, you know, can be catastrophic. I mean, we're talking the CFPB under the Dodd-Frank Act has the authority to fine someone, and it could be an entity or individual, up to $1 million per day. So, you know, that has to be knowingly, but... I suppose if, you know, some with the internet now, I mean, you can Google what the regulations are. It's yeah. not like you need to go to a law library. So it's pretty hard to say, oh, I didn't know, um, you know, but even the minor fines are, can be $10,000 a day. So it's okay. Well, it's not a million. So it's just a matter of how many weeks can you survive. It doesn't make feel any uh, yeah. better. Yeah. No, exactly. So I, I think, um, you know, and, and I don't mean to be, um, I guess in, in unabashed, uh, self-promotion, but I do a, a, a two-hour uh, presentation if, if you have a real estate license. No, it's good. You should watch Con Ed it. Credit. Yeah. So, um, and for the, the two hours legal you need each year. So I do a, a hardcore regulations, land contracts, and seller financing. And then as of yesterday, I found out I was invited and I accepted the invitation. We're just uh, sort of figuring out uh, the I think they call it an honorarium, um, but I'm going to be a speaker at the state uh, Michigan Realtors Convention at Soaring Eagle in October. Awesome, man. So it's the second time they've had me. So, you know, it's sort of, I mean, you're honored the first time and, you know, we had a good, you know, it was a small room, but we had a, over 130 people in that room, I believe. They were sitting on the window ledges. But then, you know, to get asked back to, to go, you know, to, to go back a second time, it's like, okay, now they really think I did a good job because, you know, they have one, one time you try. So I, I Dude, feel, it's a great presentation. Yeah. So yeah. I, I feel good. You changed my mind. <laughs> you know how hard that is, right? Well, I, I do know. So, um, so anyway, if, you know, some, if people like uh, casinos, they can come up to that in, in October. Um, I did one last week in, in Waterford at North Oakland, but um, we can go into to things a little bit more. Um, I do some consulting also on the side. It's not my main um, way I live a live earn a living, but if if somebody you know wants um, to know what licenses they need and where to find the forms and how to apply and where do they get the right attorneys, I mean we can really you know help them in that regard too. So um, and and you adapt about some of the ways we adapt or I've adapted and you know with the education. Uh, with some of the consulting, I'm, I'm not able to retire on it right now, but, <laughs> but it is something where, you know, I, I, you know, I've had a, I'll call them gigs, you know, enough gigs that I, 
you know, I'm, I'm building a little bit of a following and, you know, and it's something that I wasn't doing five years ago. So I, um, you know, I don't know, you know, it, it has potential and I feel, you know, that, uh, I'm also doing a good deed and there seems to be demand for it. Yeah, no, it, you should definitely go, um, check that out if you can. And I'll post it whenever he does these, I post it to the Renegade Detroit Investors page too. So, and you can also, um, look him up. He has a Dr. Daniels and Son Facebook page as well. And yeah. he's on Facebook. So right. you check him out. It's, it's worth doing. So what about any investigations? Yeah. It's interesting that Jeff brings that up because, um, I, in the last, um, well, I had a, a voicemail message before I left for here from a reporter from NB, NPR. Uh, he, uh, he, I'm a journalist with National Public Radio Show Marketplace, is the email he sent to me. I'm working on a national story about land contract sales, focused areas where they are common, and traveling to Detroit soon to do some reporting. Would you be willing to talk to me? Um, so usually where the media has interest, that means that the regulators are not far away, especially when it's national media. Um, there's also two, um, two stories written by, uh, investigations editor of the Detroit news on, on land contracts and, uh, lease options, you know, in Detroit. Your kids could have written a better story, I think. Well, I, I, I I think, um, he's a good reporter. I, I spoke with him and, and I think, uh, what I think is is evident both from the NPR uh, perspective, because that's the second NPR reporter, the first one I talked to already, um, but this is a, a different show on NPR, so I'll be speaking with this reporter soon. But um, but many, just like many investors, uh, are not aware of the regulations regarding seller financing. You know, and as including those within Dodd Frank because it's literally literally buried in a few paragraphs in a two thousand page bill, or and then there's rules that are like a thousand pages each for each section of that law, and it's buried in you know in an obscure rule there. Um, now we did. I can tell you we're on the web to find that, but <laughs> um, but but just like um, you know, investors are not aware of these rules sometimes. Um, you know, reporters are are not aware of all rules and, and also consumers are not. So I think, you know, w- one of the role, roles that I'm taking here is I did call that reporter and uh, and we had a good conversation. He was going to try to come to his cl- my class last week, wasn't able to do so, but I did share the uh, presentation with him and send him some links and the rules and so forth. Because I think if 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 someone is under the impression that something's uh, unregulated and consumers are being abused, then natural, it's going to say, we need to do something about that. And I think, you know, it's a normal human reaction when you see uh, a victim, you know, I mean, I think you'd want to help, uh, whether it's a victim, you know, from a, you know, a, a, a real estate or financial crime, or whether it's someone that, you know, is hit by a car, Dude, even if it's simple nice. as, you're just way you know, too nice. You know, well, I mean, if you see, when you call 911, if somebody was hit on the sidewalk outside your office, I'm not saying you're, you know, you're, if you're on, no, I get what you're saying, but you know, I think so, if you're going to write something, uh, you should probably know something well, about it too. But, it, but again, it's hard to find. So, uh, I, I think, you know, in this situation, um, I think, you know, also doing the industry a service to say, uh, to say, look, this is regulated. What what there is is a disconnect 
because he asked me, do you think the regulators might be asleep at the wheel? I'm like, no, the regulators I know personally, and they're very diligent people. I mean, they get to work, you know, before they have to, I mean, at like seven in the morning and they respond to emails and they answer their phone and they, you know, go out in the community. And, and, um, you know, these are people that, you know, are not just clocking in and clocking out. However, they they don't have radar and ESP and know what's going on in every you know block in every transaction and of course the CFPB does um, they're like Santa Claus but uh, yeah, without the gifts you know they, they without take, all the good yeah, stuff yeah, yeah, yeah. just all but the they take know it, if yeah. you've been naughty and know if yeah. you've been nice but but again if if the let if the regulator isn't aware you know the consumer doesn't call then the consumer doesn't know who to call or even the uh, consumer advocate doesn't know who to call so if we can let them know that you know here there are existing laws there is a regulator you know let's connect the dots and have a line of communication and that way if there is somebody uh perpetrating you know bad acts um or maybe just, they just need to get licensed maybe they're doing it right but they should be licensed and you know they need to be part of the system um then you know, let's, let's see that they, you know, play the, by the same rules of everyone else. Cause it's really unfair for the rest of us. If these people are doing things that the rest of us are not doing because it's not currently legal. Um, and they're making tons of money. Nobody's doing anything. I'm not saying you have to be a whistleblower, but you know, maybe, you know, if, if the other alternative is that, you know, they make the laws even worse, and then don't enforce those either. And then yeah. we good guys are just not going to be able to do like a straight lease anymore. <laughs> no, that's, that's, <laughs> you know, an so I think point. that's part of the, um, you know, the, the, the mission here is, um, you know, is to try to, you know, make people aware in, and, and consumers have to take some of the, um, I guess, um, blame or responsibility is probably a more positive word yeah. for these things too. I mean, if they're, um, you know, if, if they could, you know, make a phone call to the city and say, Hey, this is a, a lease option. Well, if the city has an ordinance that a lease, whether it has an option or not needs an inspection and a certificate of compliance or registration that it's up to code, well, then why are you even renting this place? Well, just for the promise that you can buy it at the end because of this option. Well, you know, I, I'm not sure if that's so smart on your part. Yeah, it's like a professional victimhood. You can just there, wander through life aimlessly, and you're never responsible for your own well, actions and come protect me, daddy, yeah, right? Some Take people, some responsibility, Yeah, there are, there are some, but I, I think in some cases, you know, you, you know it, it may be that, you know, that uh, they, they have some limitations. Um, you know, maybe it's intellectually or whatever, but I'm going to stir up controversy think, no matter how hard you try. I know, <laughs> but I think, you know, for, for a contract to be valid, there has to be, you know, a meeting of the minds and somebody has to be a sound mind. So you learned that in your 40 hour class. Cause I, I know did. you got licensed yeah, now. I am. So, um, but in any event, I, I think that's, uh, there are some investigations going on, um, you know, at least within the press right now and media. Um, as far as the rest of his question, if we didn't use up the, the rest of our time, no, we got all the um, time. there is, um, uh, an Arespa case with the, which a company called PHH mortgage. Um, they, uh, were fined by the CFPB and I don't have the precise numbers, um, of that case right now, but I am aware of the case. They were fined by the CFPB. Now they appealed their fine. Now, if you came to my presentation last week, you would have heard a little bit about the procedure for appealing a CFPB enforcement decision. Do you know who you appeal to? No. The CFPB director. 
Yeah, that's probably not going to go too so well. So you got, you know, they're, <laughs> you know, what is it? Cop, jury, judge, yeah. executioner. I imagine I, in a few weeks they will, I don't know how long it's going to take. Well, but. no, they, they already got their appeal. So instead of, and my numbers might not be correct in here, but instead of like a $20 million fine, it's a $200 million fine. So, but they have to go through that procedure of the appeal through the bureau. It went up. To the director. It went up. And then he Don't all, appeal is the yeah, message. Well, right? that was the message. Yeah. And then and the one of the reasons it went up is the director opined <laughs> that uh, he was of the opinion, but in his opinion, you know, at, that because this was an administrative proceeding, proceeding uh, and not in a court of law. I mean, you could say an administrative proceeding is like a kangaroo court because it's their own. Yeah, absolutely. But I mean, there are administrative proceedings in other areas too. Um, but that the CFPB was not bound by the three-year statute of limitations in RESPA. They said, because he said what? that only applied to a court of law, but not administrative proceedings. Man, that's some bullshit. So they went back further. They even went back before Dodd-Frank was passed. And that's why the fine was so large. Now, the company, PHH, is now appealing to the U.S. Court of Appeals for the District of Columbia, which is the next step. And I believe, because typically if you appeal, I think you have to post a bond or put the fine in escrow or something. So I think they got a waiver of that. For you the put 200, $200 million, million dollars yeah, in well, escrow. I think it did a briefcase. No. <laughs> See, I keep two pictures on my phone at all times. I'm going to stir up controversy no matter what. They're both pictures of bowls of dicks. At that point in time, when they, when your fine goes from twenty million dollars to two hundred million, that's the appropriate time to text that picture. Yeah, well, uh, maybe anonymously though, yeah, you don't want to piss well, someone like that off. So, I, I, now the appeal has not been heard yet, but that you know there there will be some issues in that court case, and I believe there was one hearing where some there's a panel of judges on an appeals court where they were asking you know about. Um, some of the constitutional issues that a lot of people have questioned about the CFPB, where you've got one director that can only be fired for cause by the president. And, you know, we have things in the Constitution such as separation of powers. And if, you know, if you've got someone that's like untouchable, except if the president, you know, for cause, I mean, what does that even mean, right? Well, it means that, you know, the president has to have a good reason to fire him. Where typically, I mean, I concede that the president can't fire the vice president, but I <laughs> mean, you know, a cabinet director, you know, typically a cabinet like secretary of HUD, I'm pretty sure the president can fire him or her. And the other thing different about the structure of the CFPB is the way they're funded. They get their money directly from the federal reserve. And then at the end of the year, they tell Congress how they spent it. Um, they also can file civil suits themselves. So whereas a, like, let's say HUD is a cabinet level department is sort of like a business or you and me, if they have a case and let's say they feel that ABC Realty was getting kickbacks from this, you know, XYZ mortgage company for a section eight HUD violation, they would present that case to their attorney, which in their attorney is the attorney general or department of justice. And then DOJ would say, okay, this is going to cost us this much of our budget, you know, it's going to cost us $3 million and to collect a $100,000 fine. Why don't you just write a cease and desist letter because, you know, we got kidnappers and bank robbers to, to fight. Well, the CFPB, they will, you know, and, and that's one of the reasons they were founded is because, you know, uh, Barney Frank and Chris Dodd and everyone else that voted for this felt that there were bad things going on that were ignored because of that system. So they created another system where... CFPB gets the money from the people that print it 
and um, that's a good and, system. And they have their own lawyers, yeah. um, and don't have to ask Mother May I to to file a civil suit. What could possibly um, go wrong, Alan? Now I believe they still have to go to DOJ for a criminal case, but uh, they also any suspicion of wrongdoing they they're required to notify the IRS too. So it's all sort of connected to oh, your man. wallet. Uh, well, yeah, to destroy your life, right? If, yeah. if you just well, per, I know for a fact you can destroy somebody's life, personal life, economically without any criminal or anything. So just imagine something as big as the CFPB with an unlimited budget. They can make your life pretty difficult pretty fast. Yeah, well, I think it's, you know, it it goes back to, and, you know, even before Dodd-Frank, I mean, I, uh, you know, I was on the state, uh, you know, appointed by the, uh, at the time it was the commissioner of the Office of Financial Insurance Regulation to the Mortgage Industry Advisory Board, even before the SAFE Act with loan originator licensing. But, um, you know, that culture of compliance and, you know, to, I mean, and because I think even the regulators, um, at least on a state level who I know better, um, you know, the federal ones, I, you know, I've met sometimes and some of the state ones went to work for the feds because they pay more. But, um, <laughs> but I, I think, you know, if, if you've got, you know, if through years and years, if, you know, if you've got a reputation of trying to do the right thing and built that culture of compliance, um, people understand that, you know, maybe you will stub your toe once in a while, um, or at least once or, you know, yeah, but, stack the deck uh, in your favor. Yeah. You want to, you know, try to do the the right thing. It's, it's like, you know, I mean, do you, well, I would um, say legal thing, try and do the legal thing. And hopefully that's the right thing yeah, too. It, well, exactly. Uh, yeah. So, um, I, I think that answers, uh, Jeff's comment there. Um, so you've got some cases, you've got a contested one in appeal, but be careful what you wish for with the appeal. And apparently don't appeal. <laughs> yeah. That's not going to work out too well yeah. for you. And, um, you know, and I think PHH is a public company, so I, I don't think are their stock guys? price is doing that well. Yeah. Are, are, do, do we know if they're bad guys or not? Or? Well, it, it's, it's sort of technical what they do. They, there's, um, something called mortgage insurance that, um, you know, these MIP premiums or private mortgage insurance, PMI that people pay. Well, they had, um, you know, it was a fair price for the, it's the reinsurance of this mortgage insurance premium. Apparently they had a sister company that they sold or bought the reinsurance from. It was a market price, but because they, it was a sister company, the CFPB sees it as a referral fee, which, you know, it, but it's so obscure. I mean, yeah. you think the things that they would go after would be the envelope full of cash that the loan officer, you know, again, this might be a wives' tale, but it, you know, it may have happened in the past. It absolutely where, happened, I'm yeah, sure. Yeah, <laughs> you know, where a you know loan officer says, you know, refer this jumbo mortgage to me, and you know, here's you know that. Um, and there were cases even in Michigan that HUD enforced with RESPA, where there was a title company that's no longer around that paid uh, to rent conference rooms from real estate agents uh, for closings, and um, HUD had ruled that. Instead of, you know, where legally they could rent space, but it should be based on the square footage of the conference room and the time they rented it for, rather than, you know, how big the deal was and how many title insurance orders they got per month. So there was a settlement without admitting wrong, wrongdoing. This was back in the 90s or early 2000s. So there were cases, you know, where there were, you know, HUD 
the nickname for HUD enforcement people was Respa Rangers, and there were about maybe half a dozen throughout the country. But the CFPB is everywhere. They have a lot more enforcement staff, and um, you know, and they're paying them a lot more. And a limited you know, budget. Yeah, and you know, and they're also using technology too to build a database of what's going on. Uh, they've spread their tentacles. I'll say I, I didn't get that. I didn't want to say the uh, you know word that's similar, um, but they've they've actually you know they they cast a wide net. In other yeah. words, they have a data database they're building. It's public record. So it's not like the NSA that, you know, had to be exposed by uh, Mr. Snowden who defected to Russia. Now, if you would have told me when I was in college that someone would defect to Russia, I thought I was, you know, I'd hear Rod Serling. I wonder if I was him, I wonder every day if he's just over there, just full of regret. He thought people would care and they absolutely do (laughs) not give a shit. And he's stuck over in Russia. (laughs) He's going to go to jail when he comes back here for what, right? Yeah. But but meanwhile, uh, you know, the, the, the CFPB has a database um, with the Federal Housing Finance, uh, FHFA, whatever that stands for. I'll think of it at three in the morning. But in any way, they have a national housing database that was announced in the Federal Register. But essentially what they're doing is they're tying, you know, um, all all the data points such as register of deeds, um, you know, appraisal, core logic, all the data that, you know, we in the industry tend to use, but also with Home Mortgage Disclosure Act data, which is reported to the government, uh, call reports from lenders. And, and, and so they can, you know, really extract the data and see what's going on and pinpoint it, not just to an individual property, but to an individual transaction. So if someone is supposed to, under Dodd-Frank, determine someone's repayment ability, the CFPB probably knows because of their credit file, you know, from the three repositories, what their debt ratio is and whether, you know, if they've agreed to pay, you know, 1700 a month and they've got other bills that total 3500 a month and then their tax return shows this kind of income, they probably know that you already violated it because there's no way that person could repay. Yeah. So they or, know before you do. Or they can stop guaranteeing loans and then all of a sudden everybody <laughs> would really care yeah. about whether the borrower could pay or not. Yeah. You know? Well, that's another thing. So, yeah. <laughs> um, all right. So uh, I think that covers a lot of the CFPB in here. Um, we got Dave Sullivan's questions on land contract. That's more CFPB. So we'll go back to that one and maybe after Ryan's yeah. question. Ryan's was uh, more general due diligence about how to discover things or how to handle unexpected discoveries in due diligence that aren't accounted for in the PA. Yeah, and he said environmental, uh, was that Liz Pins and um, yeah, act different. of God. Well, I, I think, um, you know, the, the key to his question is looking at the last, you know, two uh, letters in it, other than the punctuation mark, the question mark where he says, you know, what that aren't accounted for in the PA. And, and I think one of the first things that, um, you know, maybe a new investor or even an experienced investor can look at is, you know, are they using the same PA that they bought at Staples or downloaded from the internet or that their, their broker gave them or their title company gave them? Are they using that for every transaction? Um, well, he's a commercial real estate okay, agent, I well, say. It's just so, well, then, I don't know if yeah, that affects the answer. Yeah. But, but I, I think the, the answer is it's, there is not a one size fits all. Um, there's going to be, I mean, there's different, you know, I, I mean, you can certainly have a, a, a PA uh, that, you know, can cover everything or, you know, and, and maybe by virtue of using different addenda or addendums, whatever. Um, 
But I think, you know, if you're buying, I mean, even residential property, we ran into a deal, it might be 10 years ago now, where uh, we we required a phase one um, because it, it had development. It was an old farmhouse um, and, you know, on a, not a ton of acreage, but there it was... Um, it could be assembled with neighboring parcels. It was on a, a main road in a growing community um, where they could, you know, uh, if we bought our piece and then the neighbors would want to sell with us, you know, you could put a shopping center together or something like that. But this old farmhouse on it uh, at one point had oil heat. And, um, you know, so it, you know, we, you know, even though it's pretty uncommon to have a phase one environmental in a, in a residential deal. They made you do it. We did it. Yeah. And uh, quite, and it, it turned out we needed a phase two. It was sort of interesting because when they did the phase one, they did find some stained soils because apparently the heating oil tank was replaced at one point. There might've been one in the basement, but there was one they found in the yard and it, it was fairly obvious to see. Um, and there was some stained soil underneath from where it had rust, the bottom had rusted. Now, fortunately it was pretty empty. I think when it, you know, rusted through, but, you know, the, but, and the environmental person said to me, he says, you know, I have to recommend a phase two because, you know, we don't know how many, you know, molecules or teaspoons or whatever. Of, that could have been hundreds of, oil, of gallons. Yeah, could have leaked all the way down. And, um, you know, and, you know, and then from our standpoint, we're thinking, you know, that could have to be hauled to a special landfill somewhere, you know, and, you know, they charge you by the eyedropper or whatever to do it, um, <laughs> you know, dropper. or tweezers, you know, pick up each speck of dirt. It's going to cost um, a lot of money. Yeah, and put it in a Ziploc bag and, you know, so you don't know. But for, but the, the environmentalist uh, also said, um, I don't know if that's the right word for it, but the, yeah. the engineer uh the guy that got the money for the exactly, one, I was going to say it's um, always about money. He said, "He said, I, I have a feeling you're dealing with honest people." I said, well, "I said, why is that?" He said, "Because if they were dishonest, they would have moved the tank and shoveled the dirt away before we got here." That's a good point, and, right? Um, you know, but but again, now fortunately, the phase two showed that it was under the level required. But you know, in and we were lucky enough in this transaction that um, uh, I believe we had to front some of the cost for this. But um, at you know, there was a, a a share that the seller had to pay for some of that testing. Um, you know, and, and I'm not sure if we exactly how it was worded, whether it was the, if the phase two was needed, they had to pay for it or, or whatever. And I, I don't even remember if we had a bail from the deal because it was, you know, too costly to clean up if we would have, you know, been able to collect what they might've owed for some of the testing. But, but I think, you know, just as a, like insurance to not get into something that, you know, could be in, in a uh, blank check. It was good to have that in the purchase agreement. So I think, you know, you're better off trying to put everything in there. Um, and then if you don't need it or the seller objects, you could then make a decision. Okay. Are they objecting because there, there's something that they're scared you're going to find out? Um, or are they objecting because they just want to, you know, a deal with no contingencies and you're, competition is willing to offer cash, no, no inspection or something. So that's good. I point. think, you know, you've got to look at it and it's some, some of it's the economics. Some of it might be, you know, the particular deal. Is it a house in a sub or is it a house where there might've been oil heat? Uh, what's your plan for the property? Um, you know, something like lead paint in, in some municipalities, um, you know, maybe no big deal at all because, you know, there's no peeling paint. 
Um, other communities may have ordinances where even if there's nothing peeling, if it was built, they want you to have it tested every year at a, you know, maybe two grand a crack, um, to have it tested annually and you're only going to rent it for 300 a month. And, you know, by the time you pay your inspection fee and your taxes and insurance, it's a negative cash flow. So I think you've got to look at each deal. So I heard that the original sin was to purchase and sale agreement. And the more if then statements you can get in the purchase and sale agreement, the more likely you are to have a way to handle it. That's appropriate. that keeps a deal alive. Right. Yeah. I mean, like if this happens, Yes. And this is how we resolve it. And if this happens, this is how we resolve it. So the deal doesn't die because you've kind of inoculated as many ways as right. possible. Well, beforehand. And I think, you know, I'm going to refer to your disclaimer at the end, at the beginning of the podcast, yes. but also, I mean, particularly on commercial, commercial buyers and sellers are used to having attorneys involved. So at least you, you know, you may have somebody to blame if, you know, if the attorney drafted the purchase agreement or, you know, for you and, and helped with the due diligence and so forth. But if there's something in there, one would think if you have a good attorney, they've, they've actually thought that part out too. So, you know, you, you know, if you made a earnest money deposit, you know, perhaps you're, um, you know, your risk is limited to losing that deposit. In other cases, you know, the, the, the seller, you know, assuming you're the buyer may be able to demand specific performance and, you know, it might and make you buy it. Um, but I think, you know, you want to know going in, um, you know, what is that downside risk are, you know, and, and, um, and, you know, are you making maybe the earnest money can be made in stages after you complete certain amounts of due diligence. But I, I think the nice thing about real estate um, is that, you know, and it, it makes it fun, too, is you can negotiate things. You know, it's not a one size fits all. Fortunately, in Michigan, we don't have a, a state mandated purchase agreement. So, you know, you've got different deals and, um, you know, and, you know, so use a, an addendum or a purchase agreement that, that fits that deal. Now, that being said, I mean, make it apparent to the other side, you know, I mean, don't, don't hide it. I mean, you know what, you know, cause it's, it's, you know, it, that's just going to blow up and get you too. Yeah. You're not talking about just weasel clauses, ways to get out. You're talking about legitimate ways to handle situations that arise and lay out a path to resolve them. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it may, and I mean, I guess, you know, uh, weasel, be, weasel clauses, you know, in the name of the behold or in the eye of the beholder, I it mean, is. you know, because I, I, again, if the due diligence comes out crummy, I mean, from the seller's perspective, if the buyer bails, they're going to say weaseled out of it. But I mean, it's a legitimate part of your purchase agreement that this is part of your due diligence. Yeah, no, I'm talking more about because I have this conversation with people all the time. I'm always looking for reasons to get into deals, not to get out of them. Right. But a lot of people are so concerned about getting out of deals that they want to put in some get out of jail free card, essentially, into a purchase and sale agreement where the other party doesn't have it and they get to leave at any time without any loss or ramification. That's what I mean by weasel clauses yeah, well, where, where we're talking about having a specific kind of if then, and this is how we handle it if it pops up, which is different than that. Um, yeah, I, I think so. But I mean, if you look at an option, um, you know, you, you know, you, I mean, in that, you know, where you're, and I guess you, you're sort of framing it as a purchase agreement where there's a time frame where, you know, the, the buyer, 
Well, I'm sure Ryan is concerned about getting paid a commission, Mm -hmm. and he's probably dealing. I've heard commercial best described as wolf eat wolf eat wolf baby. Yeah. (laughs) So he's trying to he's trying to figure out a way to keep his commission alive while keeping the buyer and seller happy. Yeah. Well, you know, commercials. uh, You know, it is a little bit different. They're held to a higher standard. There's, um, you know, attorneys involved generally. They do have the commercial brokers do have the right to lien property for their commission too, where residential don't. Um, but I, I think, you know, sort of getting to your point about the weasel clause, I mean, I, I think there, there is a place for that too, because sometimes, you know, you may, you know, a seller may give you an option to buy a property and sometimes there, the consideration for that may be minimal, but, but you could say, look, I'm not exercising my option. And the, you know, but that's what the agreement was. They gave you the, you know, the unconditional right to buy for a specified time period. Now, why didn't you decide to buy it? Well, maybe you were, you had that option because you were also trying to buy the neighbor's property and the two lots combined would let you build four new houses uh, if you tore them down and build new ones or, or, you know, or you were trying to assemble the land for something else, or maybe you were hoping that, you know, you're in a appreciating market that would keep appreciating. And by the end of the six month option, you know, you would have made yourself a deal that didn't really exist today. So I, I think, you know, that, you know, that, you know, I, I think anything can be abused, but I think that is, you know, a, 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 a perfectly legitimate tool in the real estate industry that that's often used. Um, yeah you know, particularly for redevelopment. Awesome. Well, that actually leads right into what we want to talk about today. Okay. We've talked for one hour and seven minutes. Okay. Um, because obviously you've been in business a long time. You haven't gone out of business and that's probably not on accident. Right. So we're going to go over Dr. Daniels and son due diligence and how do you do your due diligence on your deals? I think I specifically said on buying and or, or selling notes, but I think a lot of these things are probably going to apply to all sorts of deals too. Yeah. Right. So, yeah, well, I, I think, um, back to the disclaimer too. Let me do disclaimer. Okay. Hi, attorney lawyer, dude, we are not it. He's a really smart man. He is still not an attorney. Go do your own due diligence, go talk to your own attorneys and all that. This is just uh, a personal opinion. So, yeah, I think, you know, we, you know, we've, um, bought notes and and land contracts. We haven't sold them. So I, I can't really go into selling paper too much, but, you know, as a buyer, um, I can talk about that. And then also we've, you know, we've done private lending, um, as well. And, and we've bought property and, you know, we do have different, you know, checklists that we try to develop, um, you know, so that you don't forget, (laughs) you know, depending on the type of deal, as far as the documentation you might need. Um, and, uh, also, you know, let's say if, uh, if we had a, a property that we own, uh, due to, um, let's say we got it back to a default, which we, that's not our goal. We want people to pay, but, you know, especially during the downturn, you know, that, you know, there were some we got back. Right now we have a very low inventory of REO. Um, and, but, you know, just like um, Bank of America, if you're selling a property or if they're selling a property, they may have a 40 page purchase agreement because they never lived in that property or owned it or operated it, that type of thing. So, so again, you, depending on the transaction, there may be different 
PA you use. There may be also different due diligence to do. Um, but as far as, as buying notes, since that's what you asked on, and I'll try to be a good guest and, and answer your question. You're an excellent guest. I see you're sticking your tongue out me and, yeah. you know, um, in any event, um, you know, I, I think if you're looking at the due diligence or just some basic checklist, I think number one, and I, I I'm pleased to see Jeremy listened. Um, but you know, if, if does your, what you're doing require a license? Yeah. Um, I think, you know, I, just like if, you know, if you saw, well, I can, and my dad's a retired dentist. So if, you know, if somebody felt, Oh, you know, there's a lot of demand for dentures and fillings and so forth. Why don't I, I do that? Well, you can't just do that in the back of your garage now. So there are limitations on what type of real estate or what time type of buying notes you can do. And, you know, so you want to really dig down and, and look at, you know, licensure, but assuming, you know, you've, you've, you know, you've either found that you've, you're exempt or you're licensed. I think the the first thing you want to look at and, you know, is the paper itself, uh, you know, cause that's what you're buying. You're, you know, let's say this is a land contract and it's a seller that sold this property, let's say in, in uh, 2008, and it was a 20 year land contract and they got X amount down. Um, and you know, they're getting this much in a month in payment and at this interest rate, well, you know, you, obviously you can look at the time value money and figure out maybe what kind of yield you're going to get if you discount it to a, based on the principal balance to, um, a certain amount. But then if you don't look at that actual land contract, you're not going to find out, you know, what because you're taking over the seller's position as the assignee. Um, first of all, is there a prohibition against them assigning it? Typically in America, you can sell something you own. However, if the two parties negotiated that, you know, seller covenants that he or she will never sell this contract, I mean, that could be enforceable. Um, but more worrisome could be, you know, maybe there's an astute buyer in there that says, Buyer shall have the right to match any offer seller receives to assign his or her interest in this in the seller's in the vendor's interest in land contract. That'd be a very good clause to put in. If yeah, you were the, well, if yeah. you're the buyer, yeah, absolutely, yeah, right. And in the yeah. seller standpoint, they're getting the same amount. First of money. right of refusal. So, right? so then you know you've allocated a lot of resources negotiating the buyer's good deal. <laughs> <laughs> How nice of you, Alan. Yeah, yeah. You know, another thing would be, and I, I've actually seen this in in some land contracts, is you know. Uh, and it, it's actually more prevalent now. You would think people would be more astute with all the podcasts, internet, but now, but there's still a lot of cheap people out there. And so they download these free forms that may not be any good or maybe, you know, more, uh, a better fit for another state. So I, um, you know, they'll, or they're just confused between what's a land contract and what's a note and, and, Probably well, all of the above, actually. Well, it is. Guess, yeah, right? it's a smorgasbord. But the kind of person who thinks they could just download an internet form and go. Yeah. So, but so you know, you've got a land contract, and okay, well, you you know, on the first page, typically it'll say the economics, you know, the interest rate when it's dated, so forth. Um, what happens if the people don't pay? I mean, typically you'll see, you know, a a, a right to forfeit. And also a right to accelerate and foreclose, which are two different avenues. We can talk about that today, what they are, or we can talk about another day. But again, you want to have some remedy for the default rather than they didn't pay. And now I can go to circuit court for a breach of contract, you no. know, which could go sort of anywhere. And it sounds expensive. Uh, whereas, you know, a forfeiture is sort of a glorified land con uh, landlord tenant hearing. Um 
in the best case. (laughs) (laughs) Um, You know, other things are sort of basic, but, you know, who signed this? Was it signed by the seller? Was it signed by the buyer? You know, did did the signatures and the names... Are they the same people? Was it notarized? It doesn't necessarily need to be notarized, but, you know, was it? Was the notary a real notary? Uh, What state were they in? Who drafted it? Was it an attorney? Who did the attorney represent? Was it seller or buyer? Um, If, you know, if if you're buying from the seller and it was the buyer's attorney that drafted the land contract, one would assume, you know, based on a fiduciary duty to his or her client that it was sort of got a buyer slant to it. So maybe the length of time before a default is different than maybe if the seller's attorney drafted it. Um, you still see in some small towns, although it's probably not uh, entirely consistent with the, you know, the bar association's best practices, you still see some small town attorneys sometimes like, you know, might be neutral, but it's pretty rare, pretty, yeah. you know, but if they're the only you attorney, for, right? in the, you know, but I, I, I think, you know, you've got to look at basics, you know, is it signed? Does it match? You know, are, are all the pages there? I remember, um, you know, early in my career, somebody brought their own credit report and, you know, it's like pages one, two, five, six, seven, you know, <laughs> <laughs> where's the rest? Oh, it must be under the back seat of the car. Well, how to get there? Oh, my dog, you know, I mean, it's like these same excuses from the third grader that didn't have their homework. <laughs> well, and of course all the derogatory stuff's on the pages. Oh, that look at there. that. Yeah. So again, is there a page missing from the contract or, um, if they scanned it and emailed it, you know, is it, you know, it, what part is blurry? What, you know, do, is there a seam somewhere? Um, you know, so I think you've got to be a little bit of Sherlock Holmes or, you know, in, in looking at that, but also basics, read it. That's what you're buying. That's, you know, that's what the enforceability. Um, and then the next thing would be, um, you know, they tell you the balance is, you know, let's say it's down to 15,000 and maybe you're buying that $15,000 balance at 8%. Maybe you're buying it for 13 and the house is worth 90. So, you know, you should be in good shape, but, you know, does okay, the amortization schedule says that, you know, if they made the payment every month at, at the base payment, the balance should still be 35000 How did it get down to fifteen? You know, so are they looking at the right month on there or were there some extra payments? Oh, that's there tricky. were extra, yeah. extra principal payments, you know, who computed it? And is, is it right math, you know, amortization wise? And then also what if there were other extra payments that didn't get accounted for? So you, you know, so I, I think it gets down to is do the parties agree on that balance you're buying, you know? So, but I think first, before you ask them if they agree, you know, just do, you know, does it jive, um, you know, or the other way around? What if the balance is, is higher? Does the, you know, sometimes that's a trigger that they miss payments. Yeah. Um, or you see, you know, are they current? Yeah, they're current. Were they ever late? Yeah, they were late. How often? Well, you know, they were 17 months behind and then they just made 17 payments yesterday. Well, who really made that payment yeah. or they did just decide to sell it? Or is it because, you know, they, you know, yesterday was the 90th day or 89th day of a 90 day redemption period. And to get your next payment, you're going to have to, you know, wait two and a half years and deal with the bankruptcy court again before you get you might get those two and a half years payments that were missed, but it's not going to be, you know, like opening an envelope every month and, you know, going to the bank. This is going to be, you know, active investing, not passive. Um, so I, I think, you know, so looking, you know, that I, I said a lot, you know, just dealing with two documents, the land contract and the payment schedule. Okay. And then, 
Um, who closed the transaction? You know, they presumably made a down payment. Well, says who? I mean, did it close at a title company? You know, was it Billy Bob's title company or was it like, you know, you I don't know, think of that. First That's of the galaxy point. title company. Yeah, because so, there so, could have been air quotes for those. Yeah, well, I mean, you, you saw this, payment, I mean right? we learned a lot from the crisis and these, you know, and, and it happens in land contracts too. And some of these same, uh, you know, I guess, um, you know, the uh, uh, fraudsters and cats, they all have nine lives, I guess. But, you know, so some of these people come back and, you know, they just find different victims. So they can't perpetrate against Fannie Mae anymore. But now they're trying against, you know, whether it's us or you or, or the next guy that wants to be a note buyer. So, you know, is the down payment, you know, legit? Is there a copy of a certified check somewhere? Or, you know, is the, you know, now could the title company closer could be in on it too? I just dropped. Yeah, a lot. I just dropped my pen. So a I lot it. less likely for that, especially, yeah. you know, yeah, nowadays, if it's a nationwide, but, but, right? But I, I think, you know, is there documentation for that down payment? Now, do, also looking at maybe the chain of title, if you have MLS access, this can help. Or even register deeds in a lot of areas are online too. You know, how long, you know, this person, you know, I typically ask, well, you know, what when, when did you buy the house? Well, I bought it a month before I sold it. Okay, well, what do you pay? Well, I don't want to tell you. Well, it's public record. Well, go look for it. Well, that's not the type of seller, you know. <laughs> no, you, no, what are you most, trying to hide? Are right? you dealing with somebody honest? But, but also, okay. Well, they bought it a month before. Did were you going to live there? Well, yeah, I was going to live there, but then I got transferred, or I I bought it, and you know, my whole idea was to flip it. Okay, well, then you get into some of the Dodd Frank intricacies. Well, how many have you sold? Was this an LLC? And if it was an LLC selling it. Then you've got different restrictions under Dodd-Frank, you know, so your compliance due diligence, you know, you go off on a lot of tangents based on what you see from looking at the documents. But do you mind if I interject real quick? Yeah, go ahead. Because that was a really good point. And you just, you have so many you're just going over. I want to draw attention to it because it's something that uh, Jeff Rabinowitz taught me too. Um, When I'm dealing with someone for the first time, um, I'll do some research and know some answers and ask questions. I know the answers to just to see what they're, and you kind of, you just said that in a different way and glossed right over it, but that's a really good point, right? Catch them in the small stuff because yeah, if I, they're going to lie about something like purchase price or so, then right. and, you and got and a problem. They're going to be open. I mean, most, you know, sometimes people will say, well, why should I tell you that? I said, well, you know, it, real estate, most of this is public record so we can find it out. It'll just be a lot easier. Oh, Okay you know, here's what I paid, you know, and especially if it was a long time ago, people are proud that they made a good investment, sold their Absolutely. house for more, you know. Um, but, you know, some, you know, but again, privacy is an issue for people too. So I get that, um, you know, but I think, you know, and this is a different little checklist, but I mean, I have a reminder when I'm talking to people about this first word I have, well, other than it says land contract worksheet, it says smile, you know, because you, you know, you're, we are in sales, even though part of our due diligence is sort of like cross-examination. Um, but also, you know, usually I ask people, you know, send me your land contract file or bring it in. We'll look through it together. I mean, you know, um, but you know, and if, you know, and I'll, if they include everything, sometimes if, if they're, if it's too professional, then I'm like, okay, you know, they might know more than me. Um, or, you know, others are just very organized, but, you know, it, it, it's not uncommon for someone to have, uh, the initial insurance that the buyer puts on the house, but then they, they don't remember to get the renewals. Um, but if, 
you know, but if you have all, you know, but it's something you better check. Is the house currently insured? Are the taxes up to date? Because someone, you know, buyer may be making the payments perfectly, but maybe they fall, you know, maybe they haven't been paying the taxes, which means again, what you think is going to be a passive investment is going to be more active because you're going to have to send letters. You're going to have to be prepared to pay the taxes. If it's, you know, the house is because that's priority lien over you. Um, insurance, same thing. If you're either going to have to pay their premium or you're going to have to contract with like a forced place insurance agent um, to be able to put insurance on, on, on explain what forced place is. Forced for place is yeah. if, if anybody has a mortgage on their own home or any of their rental properties, but if, if, if one, if the owner doesn't put insurance, keep their insurance in, in place, then the mortgage company has the right to buy insurance and the the term for that is forced place because the they they're forced to place insurance themselves and it's usually more costly and it covers less yeah. the reason for that is the insurance company unlike your own you know all state state farm auto owners whatever um citizens i won't i want to be fair <laughs> to all this uh, <laughs> but in any event um they you know you oftentimes the agent will look at the house or take pictures. I mean, the forest place company is insuring it sight unseen. And also, you know, so there's a you know more risk there. And also they're insuring for a person that, you know, didn't pay their insurance. So there's risk there too. And oftentimes this is temporary because when the more, you know, mortgage company does it, they send a letter and then finally, you know, after maybe the fifth letter, the homeowner or the, you know, the uh, may get their insurance and then, you know, there isn't a whole lot to be made for the 30 days the insurance was enforced. So, you know, they charge more per day. Um, also, they don't char- uh, you know, often insure the possessions, um, you know, because that's personal yeah, property, about not that. real property. Yeah. Um, although I have an interesting anecdote on that, too, where uh, we had a claim on one and uh, the siding was, it was vandalism. The siding disappeared and uh, the forced place company said that that was theft. You know, and I I told him, I said, so you tell me if the house disappeared, it, you know, that it was the Wizard of Oz and the, you know, Wicked Witch of the West stole the house instead of it being a tornado act of God. You know, I mean, somebody stole the, you know, anyway, so different insurance question. But again, you know, are they paying their insurance? Are they paying their taxes? Um, the, the next thing would be, you know, and I alluded to this earlier, uh, confirming that, you know, all the facts with the buyer. If the seller says 15000 is owed, but the buyer says, no, I only owe ten, you know, you know, either somebody doesn't do the math very well or, you know, numbers don't usually lie. So, so you've you get call to the, the borrower? Um, we, we, we would inter- generally not the first step, but um, usually because, you know, we're holding these, we're not brokering them. Um, you know, we're going to be doing business with that person. And they're, you know, I mean, if, if putting myself in their shoes, if I were to get a letter out of the blue that I, from someone I never heard of, and it says, send me money. Um, of course it has also, you know, it's also signed by the current land contract holder and it has a copy of the assignment and things like that. But I mean, even when you're servicing on your car loan or your mortgage has changed. I mean, that's unsettling to someone. So, um, you know, because we're, we're here in Michigan and, you know, typically prior to closing, we will contact the, the buyer, 
you know, to introduce ourselves, I give them our 800 number. I, oftentimes I'll give them my cell phone. Um, if they have any questions, I tell them I'm willing to meet with them. I reinforce nothing that nothing changes in the land contract. Um, yeah, well, how does that conversation go? I mean, usually pretty well because do you have um, like a script or like, Hey, by the way, it, I'm it, buying your stuff. And- yeah. Well, usually I, you know, I, I, you know, I just introduce myself as to who I am, uh, that we're buying the land contract between them and, you know, they know the other party. Um, and you know, what do you, what does that mean? Well, many people have had a change in servicer on a mortgage or a land contract. So they know that they're also pleased to hear oftentimes that, you know, I'm, my area code is something that they recognize that it's not, you know, a call center, you know, on the moon or, you know, (laughs) that's an excellent point. Yeah. Yeah. So a a lot of this is get a hold of me now. Um, also early in my career, you know, there, um, you know, because we're usually also going to do at least a drive by the property. Um, but in some cases we're, you know, depending on the deal, if it's not a, what I call a no brainer, um, you know, we may, and if, and if it wasn't listed and I can't see pictures from a recent listing, um, I may ask if I, you know, if we can shake hands and if I could, you know, do a quick walk through and good idea. And, and yeah. um, I remember early in my career, someone did say yes. And we were down looking at the basement and there was, you know, some, you know, just like a lot of people's basement, there was, you know, clutter in one particular area. And, um, at, when we were there and I said, you know, what's all that? I, I said, the rest of the house is like, you know, tidier than I've ever seen. And, you know, where you just didn't unpack this area. And, uh, the wife started crying and she said, I, you know, we can't, we talked about this before and, you know, we just said we can't go through with this, but you know, the seller called us and they told us that they'd give us part of the money you're giving them. If we don't tell them about this wall, don't tell you about this wall or show it to you. Good people. Very good people. Good people. Um, you know, and, you know, particularly in, in other areas of the state, you may have, you know, things here heated with a space heater or wood burner. So it's also good to know, you know, uh, one, you know, obviously is the honesty and seeing, you know, is the foundation, you know, buckling and things like that. Um, some people will say, no, you don't have the right to see my house, but you know, that and you have to make a decision based on maybe a higher risk level is the reward good enough or do you bail? Um, but, uh, the, but, but, you know, but also, you know, things, you know, like a space heater or a wood burner, it may be, per- that might be the reason the house sold on land contract is because it wasn't mortgageable. The property yeah. wasn't. And in this day and age, you know, when we talk about changes in my career in the eighties, nineties, you know, our feeling was, so if we, if the people don't pay and we get the house back, so we'll sell it on land contract. Not well, anymore. Not anymore. No. If I get it back, if it better be mortgageable that's or a really if it's good not point. mortgageable, who can I sell it to? I can sell it to, you know, uh, a landlord, a licensed builder, you know, I mean, some, but not a homeowner. So what does that mean? I'm going to get a lot less because I need to leave meat on the bone for the next person. Um, and, or it may take a long time to sell, you know, cause my, I might just have to wait for a cash buyer. So, um, you know, the, the, you, you know, so knowing the, the property and, you know, like, you know, I mean, from a listing ticket, you can see a lot of public record and that's where the technology and the internet has really helped because I are, you know, there were days, you know, where I'd be looking through the books and real school, estate offices, yeah. you know, to look at for the sold comps and, you know, and they, and, you know, uh, if you weren't a member of that board, you know, they might not show you their book unless you pay dues, um, you know, cause they weren't supposed to, um, 
you know, now with, um, you know, you've got agreements between boards, it's a lot easier. And then also, you know, imagine going to, you know, uh, you know, the middle of nowhere township to, excuse me, to try to talk to the assessor who works a full-time job in a factory and, you know, and then make it as a part-time assessor to try to say, you know, can I see the property file? I mean, it's, you know, you can do that, you know, in Royal Oak, you know, go to city hall. But I mean, if you're in some, you know, Iosco township, wherever <laughs> that is, um, you know, that was, but I mean, nowadays there, a lot of them the are Internet, online. Yeah. So, um, you know, that, that's a, a lot easier too. But, um, you know, but knowing the property and then of course, you know, you, you've got to check the title too. Um, they, they might've had title insurance when, you know, when the property was sold, but you've got a new transaction buying that note. Um, you know, what if something happened between the time the seller sold it and, and now, so what could happen? Well, the first thing to think of is what if the seller sold it to someone else in the morning and is trying to sell it to you in the afternoon? Um, you know, that that's happened. Yeah. Double close. Uh, or what if, what if the seller is the reason they're selling the note or the land contract is because they want to pay the IRS. The only problem is the IRS has already slapped a lien on the property and you know, that lien might be bigger than you're getting. And now you're buying a property with an IRS lien on it. Um, if it, if the lien is on the vendee, uh, it's, it's less of an issue, but it, it's still an issue because, um, you, it, if they, if there's a default action, my understanding is that the attorney is going to have to notify the IRS because they're, they have to be given a chance to redeem. If they do, that's good for you, your money. But, um, but if you la if you fail to follow the proper procedure on um, that lien, if you get the property back, that lien could come with it. So, so, you know, again, like, just like any transaction, you're going to want a, a good title agent to, on your side. And, and I remember being in a seminar, um, I was maybe, you know, a year or two in the business. I started in 88. So this was late eighties, late eighties, early nineties. And, um, person giving the presentation said that he was, you know, the month before he gave another presentation. I mean, it was one of the gurus, but you know, it, you do learn a little bit. Um, and he said that, you know, the student in that class said, well, I always get title insurance, you know, I'll get a title, title commitment, final policy. Well, and, but he never read it. He didn't read no, it. No, he didn't read, you know, like Schedule B or whatever it says the requirements. So, yeah. you know, he paid the premium, but he he didn't. Look at the exclusions. Oh, yeah. Yeah, exactly. always look at the exclusions. Well, yeah, it, it also gives you a roadmap of what to do. Record They're always deed, trying to sneak every, it Pay in. off mortgage, yeah. you, know, um, you know. So, I mean, so just, you know, having title insurance, I mean, yes, you know, having, you know, a final title policy that's clean where the requirements have, have been met, you know. He never read well, it. And it then, just never occurred to me that you wouldn't read it. Well, it, it's, we're talking about due diligence. No, read, that's you know, a great point. Yeah, I you're mean, being this very is sort of basic. Read your title. You know, and I learned a lot, you know, from this. I mean, I, I, I laugh now. I remember going to a closing and, um, I, you know, I know this guy really well. He's an appraiser now, and he might remember me, although, he, you know, I mean, I, he knows me now pretty well, but I had more hair back then and I was younger, <laughs> so he might not remember that I was the Harry one. Or Alan Daniels. <laughs> yeah. But, but at the time, I, you know, the fonts, you know, like the title company for the name of the subdivision, they used all caps. 
And, you know, and they didn't abbreviate. And on his deed, he had like, you know, capital first letter and lowercase the rest, like you would for writing an essay. But I thought, I mean, I was, you know, I was pretty anal retentive, OCD, whatever, you know, perfectionist. I always thought the deed had a title commitment, you know, font, you know, I mean, capitals and everything, um, which, you know, and, but quite frankly, uh, you know, it didn't. And he just said, you know, he says, that's how blankety blank title company does it. I have a different typewriter, you know, give me a break. And I like, okay, you know. All right. But I, I'm going to let you slide this time. Yeah. But, you know, and I laugh now, but I mean, better to be that way than yes. say, oh, I got a deed. Well, what county and what, you know, at least I was reading the legal description to look that it matched on the title commitment. And I think that, you know, I was a little overboard uh, that, you know, it should be capitalized. But, but again, at least it said, you know, county of Oakland, township of Brandon or whatever. It, it you know I think that one was Orion. See, I remember. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I you know and I didn't even pronounce it Orion. It no, was Orion. Orion. Um, that's that's another thing too. Like you know somebody says they lived in the house uh, twenty years and it's in Lake Orion, Michigan. Um, you know maybe they just bought that note or they're a broker. They're not really the owner you're talking to. You know so certain things. Um, you know what road is it on? Um, you know, now Lasher, Lazar, I mean that you're going to get both, but, you know, but, but other things, um, you know, it's, it's, I'm in, in Monroe County, but just North of Toledo, you know, instead of Toledo, I mean, you know, you're going to, you know, it's somebody that, you know, didn't reside there for a decade. Um, you know, so again, that all that's you know part how of due long diligence. I looked for Cashew Street, by the way. Thanks, Detroit. <laughs> I look, my wife and I look for three months for Cashew Street. Okay. Like, where's this fucking Cashew Street? I do not. Would they said it's over here? It's right next got, to Buckingham. And well, I was like, it, it, Cashew. Finally, when I put it together, that, that same, um, <laughs> that same, my, um, there's a, a, a family member who's now deceased, but he used to live in that area. And uh, he said, somebody, you know, Drove by his house, rolled down the window, and says, um, "Can you tell me where Bone Suckers Hospital is?" You know, it was Bone Secure, you know, which is now I think part of Henry Ford. But, but Bone Suckers Hospital. Yeah. That's so funny. <laughs> yeah. I would not ask. I'd be like, I'll just keep driving. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm you not have other things. I mean, I remember is. asking somebody, you know, how their credit was, and they said their TWA was just fine. You know, because like, it used to be TRW. Yep. But um, you know, so I mean, you you know, I mean, I make mistakes too, and. Um, but I, I think, you know, you do want to, if something's got your spidey oh, like senses. A detective, um, right. And for those up, listening, Cash, I just realized I didn't, sorry, let me let a joke. It's now 52 countries, by the way. So Cashew is in, uh, and there's a street in Detroit called uh, Cashew, right? Cashew. Yeah. But in Detroit, in the parlance of Detroit, Cashew is what came out. Anyway, C A D I E U X or something like yeah. that. Anyway, lots, just so I didn't, I just left yeah. you hanging there. I'm sorry about that, folks. Yeah. I'm sorry. Sorry to interrupt. Well, the Bone Suckers is also French, I understand. Yeah. Too, so. Yeah. Damn French. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but, um, you know, I'm Toledo is that, that must be Spanish. Toledo. I don't know what that Toledo. is. I think, yeah. I think it is Spanish. Yeah, okay. yeah. So we, we don't know. We don't know the etymology. Yeah. So. You know, and then things, um, you, you know, I, I, I don't know if I told you this story last year too. I mean, there's things that are common in you and I, you know, in the industry now, like, you know, a notary asking for ID and making a copy of that. But I remember early in my career, there was, we were buying a land contract from a, a couple, uh, elderly couple, uh, in, in, they were from Ann Arbor and they, you know, I'm wearing a, a coat and tie today, but I mean, typically a lot of sellers and land contracts didn't dress up to meet with me. And, you know, but these people were dressed to the hilt and, um, the, uh, woman was telling me, the wife was telling me that, uh, when she saw that she was signing, a uh, 
a quit claim deed um, that she signed a warranty deed too. So, you know, <laughs> we also had title insurance, but she said when she, her father was the bank president in Ann Arbor, you know, 40, 50, 60 years earlier, and that um, she had a summer job working at the bank and, you know, she had been typing and at the end of the day, she showed her work product to her father and her father told her she had to stay late to correct all the three-part carbon quiet claim deeds she had typed. <laughs> Whoops. And I didn't have the heart to tell her that with a word processor, how easy it was to correct it. But but again, you know, the next, you know, thing I had to ask this prim and proper couple who I'd been talking to for the last three weeks was that, you know, the notary, you know, sitting at the table was going to need them to pull out their photo ID and make a copy of it. And, um, you know, and, and she looked at me and she said, well, why do you need that, Alan? And I said, well, I need to make sure you're over 21 and can sign a legal contract. She says, I know better than that. But, <laughs> but again, I mean, you're, you're always, I guess the lesson is, you know, you, you can mix your due diligence with some sales and, and being yourself and, you know, just explaining, you know, this is why, you know, we do this, you know, why does it, you know, why can't you get, you know, I mean, I guess, I suppose if you had instant title insurance, you could, you know, when the property was down the block from you, you could close. And we've, I think our world record is doing, you know, we closed the deal, uh, in 36 hours. Damn. Um, yeah. You know, really? Yeah. That's um, amazing. It, it, yeah. Title insurance. And yeah. We, yeah. It was for, you know, good title company got it to us quick. And fortunately title insurance, it was clear, you know, it was yeah. clean, but it, it was, it was fast. Um, but you know, but I mean, sometimes people say, well, why, you know, can't I do this? I bought a car that costs more money in less time. Well, you know, car titles are, you know, so you try to explain, you know, that's done by the secretary of state and the title, your ownership document is something you can hold in your hand. Real estate sort of old fashioned. They have to check the register, register deeds at the county. A lot of this, even with computers, a lot of it, you know, is done by hand and, and so forth. So um, I, I think, you know, explaining the process that you're doing this due diligence, um, why you do that, because I think most people, um, you know, if they were in your shoes, they'd be doing the same thing. Absolutely. You know, you know why, why do you put this in writing? Well, you know, you know I think both of us are going to remember the handshake, and that means a lot, but real estate does have to be in writing. That's part of the, the law, statute of frauds, if you want to know which one. But also, I think you and I both want to know that if one of us, you know, gets hit by a bus or gets a case of amnesia, you know, <laughs> um, that, that this is the deal, that whoever's handling it for us know what it is. Yeah. And, um, oh, okay, you know. Um, and, but, you know, if you're not sure, you're not sure. Okay. Well, you know, we'll go over this another day or, you know, I mean, I, I, I mean, I can overcome objections too, but sometimes the best thing to do is look, if they're objecting, you know, I mean, there might be another product out there on, on the other hand, but, um, but I, I think, you know, you, you've got to balance that. I, my style is pretty, pretty soft sell. Um, but, you know, but yes, I like to make a living and I like to win and close. And absolutely um, right. Like you wouldn't be else. here if you yeah. didn't You'd yeah. be in a lonely little office yeah. with no deals getting done. Yeah. I li I'm a big fan of explaining it to wouldn't you want to X, Y, Z if you are buying X, Y and Z? Yeah. And, and I always do the preface, though. I don't know if you do it. I'm curious what you say. I always say, um, look, I'm sure this is not you. Right. However, I have procedures I have to follow. One of these procedures is X, Y, and Z, and I have to do it because of X, Y, and Z reason. I'm sure you understand. And then I ask again. And generally that 
like you said, the explanation, uh, it, it's reasonable, yeah, right? Well, some of it, I mean, you know, when you're dealing with, you know, lead paint or you're asking somebody, you know, or even, you know, the closing agent is asking somebody for a social security number, which, you know, 24 seven, you're told not to give anybody your social security number. And here you're being asked for it by somebody you just met. Um, you know, the, you know, why? Well, you know, uncle Sam, um, you know, I don't make the rules, but we got to follow them. Well, why, why do they need it? Well, at the end of the year, because they're giving you a check for this much, they're sending you a 1099. Well, does that mean I have to pay, you know, X amount in taxes? Well, that depends on a lot of factors. You know, it, you know, you know, are you selling this at a profit or a loss? Um, you know, I, I, there's a lot of moving parts here. I don't do taxes, but you know, you fact is you're going to get the form and then you'll give like everything else, like your W2, you'll give it to who does your taxes and they'll put the puzzle together. Okay. Where do I sign? You know, but I, I think, you know, you're going to have that in any profession. I remember, um, you know, my wife just texted me asking when we'll be done so we can eat dinner. Never, but, <laughs> I, uh, but I, I going hungry. um, you know, there, there was a, a car, um, I think we were in, in, we, it was an engagement present or a wedding present. I bought her a car and, um, we were, it was a cash purchase and, um, the papers, uh, you had to be redone, but I had to be there in the early morning with a certified check and I was had to get to the airport to go somewhere. And so, you know, my wife to be is there, you know, and we've got a certified check and the salesperson is there and says, you know, it's going to be 10 minutes before the papers are done. And, you know, I said, well, I got to go. And she said, you know, do you mind signing this before you go? I said, no, I don't. I said, you know, because then, you know, you're not getting a bigger check from me no matter what. She said, I said, well, where do I sign? And she said, well, you sign right there. I said, right where it says in like 30 point font, do not sign blank form. Mm -hmm. You know, and I, I just said, you know, okay, don't give the check if the number doesn't match right yeah. over my signature. You know, so, I mean, I think there is. You know, now would I do that, you know, on a finance deal? No. And and would I do it, you know, but I mean, in this case, you know, there, um, you know, I shouldn't have done it, you know, but I mean, I think you look at, at the risk and, 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 and do things, but, um, you know, okay. So. Yeah. Car is okay. Uh, yeah. I I like that you signed it though. I, I would never, if you would have asked me that question, I would be like, there's no way in hell Alan Daniel signs that. Yeah. But apparently sometimes yeah. you will. Yep. You know, Just not on real estate, right? Well, I, I think, you know, within, you know, you've got to look at the, the over at the overall, um, you know, risk of something. Now, um, now if, if I was selling the car, I don't think I would do that, uh, you know, because I, you know, perhaps the dealer had some liability of some, you know, maybe, you know, there's such a thing as a tester or something. I mean, we know they happen for fair housing, but maybe the, whoever regulates auto dealers. Yeah, that's a good that. point. So, it's a trap. Yeah. Well, yeah, you don't know, do it. it sounds like Star Wars. It's a trap. It's, <laughs> it's a trap. A <laughs> but, um, get that $200 million yeah, so fine. I, so I think, you know, and I was, you know, obviously this, you know, I was younger then than I am now. Yeah. Well, obviously it was in the past, but, um, you know, so I, I think, you know, there, there's certain things you have to to look at now. Um, so we were talking about title commitment. We were talking about seller ID. Um, you know, so you've got to look at your documents too. I mean, you know, whether the, you know, you do, you know, we, um, if the seller, uh, you know, when typically when we confirm the balance with the, the buyer, we like to do that in writing too. And, you know, so that we've got something saying that we're not walking in the middle of an argument 
Uh, we also, you know, would have the seller sign an affidavit that the balance that they're say it is, is, um, you know, now I, you know, the wording on the affidavit is something, you know, I, I do some paid consulting to, to, <laughs> no, and there's attorneys that can, you know, do that. I'm, I don't have a monopoly on this. Um, you know, and then, you know, we do, um, you know, you want to make sure that, you know, you're named on the insurance. Um, but I think, you know, you want to make sure your timing's right because you don't want the seller's name to come off until they've actually, you know, until it's the right time for that. It's, it's similar to like if the, you know, buyer were refinancing or something, you know, there's going to be a change in, in lender or land contract holder on the insurance policy, but sometimes insurance companies won't talk to you and you have to, you know, the buyer's going to have to make that call or you might have to put your own insurance on it for an interim period because if something happens in the interim, you know, that buyer could get a check and you're not named on that check. Um, or maybe it's not insured. Um, you also, you know, if a land contract and this gets back to reading it, if the buyer is paying an escrow for taxes and insurance, there's different ways of handling it. Sometimes, um, they amortize the whole thing. And then when it, again, it's going to depend on how the documents worded. And then when the taxes are paid, the seller has the right to add that back to principal. In other cases, it's handled just like a, a mortgage where it's in a separate, you know, column, you know, like escrow, <laughs> you know, where, you know, that, you know, let's say a hundred dollars of each payment, you know, goes into that escrow column. And then when they pay the taxes, they deduct it and then, you know, it builds up again. But then the question is, did they ever adjust that based on what the taxes and insurance? Because the payment, you know, no matter which way it's handled, that, you know, a lot of times the contract would be worded like a mortgage where, you know, if taxes go up or down, that has to be analyzed and, and has that happened. So there's more moving parts on a land contract uh, with an escrow for taxes and insurance. Also, uh, state law limits um, the number of land contracts you can service uh, without a license. And there's a lower threshold for the number with escrow for taxes and insurance. The theory is that that's not your money. That's money that you're entrusted to hold to pay the taxes and insurance with the buyer's money. Absolutely. So there's a, you know, that's why, you know, they, they want to make sure that only people that pass the litmus test, you know, can, you know, be responsible for that. And also if you have a license, you have a bond for that would presumably reimburse the state or the consumer for mis appropriation of those funds. Um, you know, so insurance, you know, your closing documents, typically, you know, there's a deed. Now, if they're doing a warranty deed, obviously they, the seller can't give you a title to the part that they sold to the buyer. So it better be subject to the, the vendee's rights. Um, if they're giving a quit claim deed, you know, that's really all their rights, whatever they have. But if you don't have good title insurance, you're not going to be able to go back after the seller if they're not warranting anything. So, you know, you'll want to have a professional read that lawyer draft your, your deeds. Always. Uh, right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, or, you know, if the title company's drafting them, you know, have your attorney look into it. And then, you know, again, like after you've done this for a while, you may feel comfortable doing some things without an attorney, but sometimes there's a twist and turn and it's nice to have that bat phone or, you know, where you pick it up and you know, <laughs> somebody's going to answer. Your you attorney know. phone is the bat phone. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Tell um, me what, Toby, I, I found something I don't know. Well, and then there also may be different attorneys for different things. Absolutely, I mean, you know, yeah. we have a, a regulatory compliance attorney, um, you know, that 
you know, is different than who I'd use to collect on a land contract or, you know, and a transactional attorney for putting a deal together and an environmental attorney for reading these reports. I mean, I can read the executive summary, you know, you need a phase two or recommend it, but you know, the rest of it, you know, it's, you know, and then, and also they'll recommend, okay, who are the good environmental companies you'll want to use? And, you know, and, and also are they going to write the form on, you know, you know, will they recognize the environmental attorney? So, you know, it's a lot of times it's good to deal with people that know each other. It's usually a good thing. Sometimes it's a bit, you know, they'll tell you, you know, run like the wind. I've heard that from our attorneys sometimes. Um, I can see both sides, right? Because if they know each other really well, it's going to be easier to work with. But at the same time, well, I see both. Some, yeah. yeah, you yeah. can sometimes it's that they've worked with them and then they found that, you know, the person's unreasonable. Um, other times they know they are reasonable, um, you know, and, you know, sometimes you just don't know. Um, but I, I think the, you know, when, you know, sometimes, you know, the, the deal itself would, you know, you might, the attorney might tell you run like the wind. Sometimes it's the person, you know, you may do a little bit of, you know, Google's a good tool. And sometimes, you know, you might get, you know, have good vibes about the person and forget to, you know, to, to maybe check some things out. Um, but, you know, I think you've got to be comfortable with the paper, the property and the, and the person. And, and it's, it's all, Man, that's it's, good right there. Yeah. It's the three P's I've, I've heard that before. And, you know, you could have a good land contract where the terms look good. So the paper looks good, but you forget to check out the property and you find out that it's, you know, got a bad foundation. Um, you know, that, that's going to be a ticking time bomb. Um, because, if, you know, if you get it back, you got a problem. Um, and it could be that, you know, that's why it's sold on land contract. Um, and maybe the buyer is in on this deal. Like, you know, they want to, yeah, that's scary when that happens. Right. And, and then, you know, and also the people, uh, you know, sometimes, um, you know, you, you talk to the, the buyer, you're, you have a, a good, uh, vibe with them, you know, or they say, I'm going to call, you know, I can't take a call right now. I'm at work, but I can call you back later to talk about this. Or they say, yeah, you can, you know, we can come, you can come talk to the house. You know, if they're not there, they don't call back. Sometimes that's indicative of how they're going to pay. Not always. I mean, you know, they, you know, could have a, you know, a life event come up, you know, having a baby, somebody gets sick. I mean, you know, we've all had those things where people miss appointments without calling and apologize later. Pretty but, rare though. But most yeah. people will let you know, and it's easier now with texting and, you know, I mean, like today I pulled in the wrong, you know, I think I got North Main and South Main mixed up, just, you know, plugging into my GPS. And, you know, I thought I was, you know, first of all, I wanted to, I didn't want to have to walk <laughs> too far with my briefcase. Um, but you know, where am I? I'm in the right parking deck. I mean, it's a lot easier than it was when, uh, I'll, I'll date myself when, you know, you need the pony, <laughs> pony express. No, the pony no express. I remember, I do remember you, you were probably remember this too. Sorry, hit the mic. Um, the, you know, you, uh, the, the, uh, pay phones that were at the level of your car window. No, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm that old you man. Know, well, you know, I, you know, I, I, I do have to say that from 19, was it 1980, 89, I think 1989 to 1996, I was in Europe too. Okay. So I missed a lot okay. of shit. Right? Well, I mean, I had a cell phone, but at that time, you know, it wasn't like you had this many minutes, you paid a monthly fee and then it was a per minute charge that was high. So, I mean, the cell phone was like, and, 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 you know, you expensive, and then, you know, you didn't really want to use it unless it was an emergency. So, you know, but you're, you know, 
pay phones were still around and usually it was unlimited, you know, or you could use like a calling card or things like that. So, um, you know, people that are frugal, which is most entrepreneurs or people in family business and so forth, you know, so you, the, a lot of in a lot of gas stations or whatever in the parking lot they'd have a payphone that was oh, like right see. at the level. It's kind of like of the whole pager thing. You just call yeah, real quick. Yeah, and- yeah. So you'd, um, you know, you could, you know, and I did, you know, you did have a pager, and it was like call this number. So maybe call the office. Okay, I, you know, here's a, I can call. You know, I write out a, you know, roll the window down. I can put the money in the payphone. Have the receiver right there. That has to be Dennis so American. Dennis is going to remember this. Yeah, the, the, that's Amer- a drive-up payphone. Yeah, that's that's as American. I have a funny story. My daughter and I, <laughs> you know, this is probably four or five years ago. Um, we I took her to D.C. I had a conference there, and we went out to a, a fancy Danny daddy daughter dinner, and um, you know, we both dressed up, and you know, there was a you know maitre d and no. A, waiter and so forth and my daughter you know asked where the ladies room was and so the waiter you know said well you know just down this hall and take a left at the payphone so i'm waiting and i'm waiting and you know and then my daughter comes back and she says dad what's a payphone (laughs) so you know she didn't even know what it was but you know so you know so then i walked that's hilarious yeah but i you know, and it's. She thought she would knew it if she saw it, then got confused. Yeah, like, but I mean, I, I'm both my kids. I think remember, you know, I had a Palm Pilot, you know, and and uh, you know, and a flip phone, and you know, so I mean, technology has really changed, and we're at a good point now. I mean, I've got a Apple Watch, and you know, I'm, I'm getting the same. Text yeah, what do you think about the Apple and, Watch? But, do you like it? Or I, I like it. Um, you know, let let's say if I'm I'm walking somewhere, I can use the navigation on it, you know, and it'll tell me turn left here. It's a lot easier. Um, I do. Um, you know, for quick text messages, although I'm going to confess that my navigation on my phone, I get text messages too. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, I mean, I'm, I'm in my car, I get it. But, um, but, but mean, you know, but it is, you know, you can take a quick glance without, um, it, it's, it's a hands-free device because it's on your wrist. Yeah. You know, I don't think I'm violating a traffic law. I don't respond, although sometimes I'll do the Siri thing. Um, but, um, but I, I do like it. I'm an Apple uh, fanboy. Um, I think the next generation will be better. But I used to use a separate watch for a heart monitor when I exercise. So this way, Not anymore. I, I don't need that. Yeah. So it's sort of all within the Apple family. So, so you, I, you think I it's like worth it. the investment? I I don't know if I'd say that. No, it's, it's, you just it's like a it. Toy. I okay, like, you like no, it. No, but toy. I did. I think unlike some people that don't wear watches, I I did wear a watch all the time. So I you know so as far as telling time. And uh, yeah, that I got rid of it. Nothing. But um, well, I mean, with a lot of people just rely on their phone. What time is it? I'll look here, you know, but I, I, I find it that I, I can justify it. Um, and I, I do like it. And, you know, and I know how to use it. And, um, you know, for me, but well, I, like I'm not that. saying it's a must have. I think, you know, you've got to have a smartphone nowadays. Yeah. You can't get by without it. Well, the reason I ask is if you adopt a piece of technology, then it makes me wonder if I should. You know, you don't seem like someone who just frivolously adopt a piece of technology and like you don't seem like a first, uh, a first uh, well, early I, adopter. Or whatever. I, I'm usually um, I didn't buy the first iPhone. Um, I got the iPhone 3G, which was the second one. And I've had every one since then. Um, I usually do not buy a first generation and the Apple watch is a first generation, but it's, I know, I imagine some of the listeners, or at least some of your Facebook friends know me. 
I had a hundred dollar coupon for the, <laughs> and it was expiring. You, know, you had to use yeah, it. Yeah, so I, I figured out, you know, for a hundred dollars less, and I think now the price at the retail price Savage. came down fifty. But, but I, I, I bought it because I had that, and, um, you know, so, so I, I think, you know, for less than retail, it was a. You know something, but discount, otherwise I would have yes, waited. You know, but I, I think I, I a weakness I do have. I um, I don't have too many vices, but I I, I do swear once in a while. Uh, not enough, I, I would say. Not enough. Well, not enough for you. <laughs> I mean, it's like uh, you know. But um, I I, um, I I swear uh, I drink too much caffeine. I I, I don't have much alcohol Take that anymore because I try to stay. Is that possible? Fit. Um, drink too much caffeine. Yeah. Take I, it back. Yeah, well, I think it, 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 it can make, you know, it, it's, um, I think for in sales, I think it can make you a little too, you know, it can get your anxiety up. So I think there's a right level for it. Um, and I, I think, you know, in business you do, you know, you want to be a little more methodical. So I, I've cut down on it. it at first it was hard, but you know, now, I've really cut down on the diet pop and I don't think the artificial sweetener is that good for you. So that's still advice. I'd say it's like my um, middle-aged drug of choice, yeah, caffeine, man. I yeah, love well, it. It's better yeah. than other choices, yeah. I think. Um, but I think as far as, you know, I don't wear jewelry other than my wedding ring, but I, I, before my Apple watch, I, I did like, I didn't have a Rolex, Rolex or anything like that, but I didn't like, you know, nicer watches. And I, and I, I do like nicer pens. Um, I'm holding a Mont Blanc pen or a cross pen or something like that. I, and then yeah, I, I totally you want know, to check that out. And then you I, leave, you know, I, I, I like, I, I like, uh, I drive a stick shift. I like driving. Um, so I like, you know, I like the feel of a, a nice car. So. Um, so I, I, but I think these are all things, you know, to strive for too is, um, but I, I, but as far as, um, you know, being, you know, I, I think I, I still have to balance that with like the, you know, the technology. I like the technology. I like the toy aspect of it, but I really, I like the efficiency of it and that it allows me to do a better job. I can keep in touch. I mean, I love Dropbox. I mean, I got, you know, I mean, we used to have like a dial up connection to the office server, and, you know, now anything I need, you know, I mean, you don't need a, a thumb drive anymore. I mean, you put it on Dropbox, it's on everything. So. Yeah, for less than 200 bucks a year, which is just, I still can't even believe how I get like 100 gig for almost nothing. Yeah. It's it's amazing. Right. So I, I think that, you know, the technology, um, you know, I, I have to be able to justify it. But I, I you know, it is, I, I don't know if I call it a vice, but it's a, it's a weakness. It's, it's you a know, weakness. I, I mean, you put me in that Apple store. I mean, it's. Uh, You're you know, an easy kid, target oh, in the Apple man. store. Yeah. Yeah, I mean it, it's tough. Especially throwing a coupon, it's yeah. Done deal. Oh, you throw yeah. <laughs> okay. At a discount, I'll do it. You give me salary. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. All right. Well, stop drooling. Where else? Okay. Now we went on a tangent because well, I well, yeah, ask we you were talking it. due diligence as far as um, you know, paper. I think I did one of your least um watched uh videos for, you know when you were doing the old um meetings with the yeah. speakers and um it was called paper cuts and sour notes but it was also you know it was geared towards a lot of things that can go wrong people see yield and discount and you know um when you buy paper but you know you have to look at uh, you know that there are a lot of things that can go wrong. I mean, you've got, you know, regulatory issues as far as, you know, servicing, you've got foreclosures, you got bankruptcies, you got getting properties back, you got, you know, cities and townships or whatever, you know, municipalities would be the generality general term. But, you know, if you get a property back, you know, they've got vacant property registration now, um, you know, 
you know, you've got the risk that, you know, you can't enter the property, but the city is cutting the grass or somebody left the water running and, you know, you got the water bill or you got damage to it. Um, so I think you've got to look at not only, you know, the yield and, and all this good stuff if it performs, but what happens if you don't get pay, payment number one? Um, or, you know, I mean, you, you know, are, you know, you know, is a legal fee going to take away everything good and make this really a bad deal overnight? So, um, I think, oh, wait, you know, that's a good perspective. Is a legal fee going to make this a bad deal overnight? Wow. Yeah. That could change everything, right? Oh yeah. yeah. Uh, you know, I mean, not that I want everybody to be scared. And, no, no, you know, no. But, but that's a good but question. I think, you know, you've got to look at it and then, um, also look at the real numbers. Um, you know, I'm, you, it's, you know, a lot of times and used cars is a good example that people will pay a high price for a product with, you know, in this case, a car, but I mean, with a land contract, it would be a house because the down payment and the payment were affordable. Yeah. And, you know, actually this did contribute to some of this, you know, new regulation yeah, because bake it in, right? seller financing was a view abused by people that used it like say, uh, like used cars. And then unfortunately the appraisers use those inflated comps and, you know, we had a house of cards in some communities, but, um, the, but again, you know, you're looking at it. Okay. They paid 50,000 for this. They put 5,000 down. They're paying the five seventy five a month, you know, well, if the house next door, which is a cookie cutter house sold for 30, this house is probably not worth 50 or you can move the decimal point. That one's 300 and this one's 500, <laughs> yeah, you know, de- depending on what community yeah. you're in. So does, you know, it is the property really worth it? Um, or is it, are they just selling the terms? And, and also like we talked about before, was that down payment a note, you know, or was it, you know, uh, I've heard the term prepaid equity, you know, somebody used once, you know, oh, gift, of equity. gift of equity. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, another, you know, it, it's, it's just fluff, you know, to make it look different. And I, I suppose if it's disclosed to you or if it's in the paperwork or on the closing statement that way, then fine. But, but, um, you know, the, um, I, I can't think of the precise legal term for it, but you know, the, the, the fact that they may, um, make that very obscure, or hide that from you, you know, you know, could be, you know, they're trying to turn you into a victim and sell, you know, pawn off this bad paper. How much of that is there really? Is there, are there, are there a lot of wolves out there or there, there, I, I don't know if I'd say a lot, but, um, there, you know, all it takes is a few that do a lot of damage. I mean, you, you know, you, one deal, you know, could, I mean, if somebody's getting into this and they have, you know, 50, hundred thousand to invest and they, you know, make a bad decision. I mean, so, you know, think about, you know, whatever you're investing in, whether it's a rental property or whether you're buying a note, I mean, how, you know, if, you know, are, could you lose it all? Could, you know, what's the worst case and, and what can you afford to lose? Um, because, you know, you're, you're not going to bat a thousand and, um, but, but I think, you know, there are wolves out there. Um, there, you know, there's, you know, the, it, you know, they're, they're there. Um, there's also things that can happen and you could make a mistake. I mean, we had, um, a, a property where there was a building permit issued on it and, um, and then we got it back. Somebody was going to buy it and build a house and the township told them that it wasn't buildable. And we redid all the steps and found out the township was right no. because 
there, what had happened is the prior owner had, I mean, this was a long story. I felt I, I was in almost in tears. Well, you know, the business equivalent of tears, Yeah, you know, where money is raining yeah, down. You killed my so, money. Yeah. Well, but I mean, I, you know, well, and also I, you know, I mean, we're in a family business, so it's either my money or my dad's money. And, um, you know, and, and, you know, you're, it's, you know, it's not like just, it's a big deal. It's yeah. not some made up fed yeah. money. It's real and, money. Exactly. So, um, and I talked to our attorney and he said, you know, he would have missed it too. Because, you know, there's building permit. I mean, you know, but what had happened is this property was split off the neighboring lot. And it was split off by virtue of a replat of the whole subdivision. And the attorney that handled it for the former owner uh, was not paid his final bill. So the attorney, rather than performing the final task, which would have been sending the plat either to the state plat board or whatever it is, or the register of deeds to record it or whatever, you know, the last two things he, along with the final bill said, I have not been paid for this. I assume that you are going to handle it yourself. Here's an instruction lender of what to do. And Never it didn't did it. get done. And, but the township, of course, their part of it was over because they had signed off on the new plat. So they issued the building permit. Now, what we, this was a loan Damn, rather than buying the coming, paper, right? you know, so rather than this was a loan we made, but it could have been a land contract we bought because it's the same type of due diligence on the property. The bill, it was plan, it was supposed to be a short term loan. The builder was going to build with that building permit. As it turned out, you know, we got the property back because the economy had changed and the builder, you know, wasn't doing well on other deals, didn't have the money to pay, couldn't build, didn't start building a house, didn't get a construction loan. All So we end up with the property, you know, before the economy did totally tank, we had it sold, but you know, it had a contingency that getting a building permit, they couldn't get one. We found out, you know, as I started at the beginning of this anecdote and lo and behold, we had to hire another attorney to go through that whole process again and uh, fortunately, there was, you know, we didn't miss any deals because we went through that whole process while the property declined in value. It took about two years. Two years? Yep, because oh, again, man. we had to start, we had to notify every neighbor, oh. you know, again, of this replatting. We had to notify, you know, DEQ because it was a walkout and there was like a creek within, you know, what, 300 miles or whatever, you know, you know, in green, you know, green, I don't think we had to notify Greenpeace, but I mean, you know, but fortunately, I mean, because they, everybody had signed off, you know, DTE, anybody with an easement, um, you know, fortunately nobody objected, but you know, again, there was some little bit of, you know, phone calling letters between our attorney and, you know, the different, you know, whether it's a township attorney, this, Man, and that. that's a long, but you've got, process. you know, but there's waiting periods because, you know, you have to notify anybody, see if anybody objects, it's a replatting. So, um, fortunately it went through, but nothing was happening in the market. So, uh, lo and behold, you know, it's done. The, the market starts to rebound. It was a desirable walkout site. We had made the decision that, you know, rather than sell it while it's low and put the money in the bank at 0.0002% interest, we figured when, you know, if and when the market rebounds, it'll, we'll get a better return from the property appreciating again, which we did. And then, um, you know, uh, the broker that we had it listed with uh, called 
and said, you know, I got a buyer. Uh, we were willing to negotiate and come down a little bit. He says, I wouldn't go down that far. I mean, you know, he actually made us money. Well, he made himself a little bigger commission too. Hell yeah. But, um, we like and the that deal word, closed, commission. you know, cash, um, you know, and, you know, so, I mean, fortunately in that case, the property, you know, was, you know, this test of time, but I mean, you know, when your own attorney tells you that if, you know, the mistake you made, he would have made it too, you feel that this is pretty, I mean, and I was doing it a long time by the time this happened, I mean, you know, it's now like 10 years later, but I mean, I mean, I was no rookie at that time, but we, you know, it, it was something that a pro's pro would have missed. And if that, you know, if the economy didn't come back, we would have lost six figures. You and know, the seller probably didn't even know. They probably thought they did everything no, the, right. The, no, the, yeah, exactly. That, um, you know, the former owner, I mean, he had a building permit. I mean, I don't think, you know, he. Yeah, I would have I, assumed I, of too. Of course, somewhere in his file, he had a letter from the attorney that he didn't finish paying that he was supposed to do that. But, yeah. but again, you know, builders have the reputation sometimes of leaving some builders of, you know, not say you know, being very so, good Alan, on some, so. you know, saying, you know, some <laughs> um, paperwork does, you know, some people are not great with paperwork. I'm not great with yeah. paperwork. So um, in any event, there are things that, you know, and, and that's one testimonial that, you know, we've made mistakes too, and sometimes big ones, and some of them are correctable. And, you know, um, but I, I think, um, you know, it, at least at the end of the day, you know, time took care of us a little bit, but, you know, we're never getting those attorney fees back, No, but it was well worth it to, you know, and that, and that guy did a good job for us. And, um, you know, so that's where, you know, your team, you know, whether it be title company agents, uh, inspectors, environmental companies, you, you know, um, other due diligence people, home inspectors. I don't know if I said that twice. Um, and then, you know, so you want to have a document checklist. You want to make sure you use your checklist. You want to make sure you read, um, you know, you want to make sure you know the laws and regulations you're subject to, uh, have a, have a team, um, you know, try to deal with honest, ethical people. If you can find them, uh, <laughs> you know, there's a but, few left. Yeah, there are. Yeah. yeah. There's lots of them left. Um, is there anything else on that checklist? Or well, you cover on, on it that all? particular land contract due diligence, um, I think we covered Nailed most it. of it. Um, you know, other things would be, you know, if there's any uh, particular twists and turns to a deal, you you know, you want to document, make notes, because you might be looking back at that later. Keep copies. Um, make sure, you know, also a lot of times you get your title commitment, you pay for the policy, but then that title policy doesn't come for a year or two. So, you know, make sure, you know, you're following up on that. It's a lot easier with your CRMs or even your, you know, just your Apple or, or maybe your, uh, uh, what's that other brand called? Um, yeah. <laughs> anyway, you know, if you I'm use not a, dro- the a droid or whatever, yeah. but, um, you know, put a note on your calendar to follow up. I mean, you don't need the final policy the same day. I love day, but, online calendars. Yeah. Like my whole life, I I just don't forget shit anymore, hardly ever. And that's a great thing because I used to forget things and get back a day late or two days because you forgot and you wrote down on a sheet of paper. Not anymore. Put it in the calendar and it just yells at me. So, All right, you talk for a minute and I'm going to send a text. As- yeah, yeah, no problem. So this is, by the way, ladies and gentlemen, and we do want to wrap it up a little bit here because I don't want your food to get cold. But I want to make sure we. Um, well, we're going to meet across the street. I'm going to ask her if she wants to. Oh, okay. Yeah, you know. take her out. Yeah, that's that's smart. Way way to go. So, um, fifty three episodes of Renegade Detroit Investors. It's going to be my appeal to you because I do get almost every day now an email or a text or a Facebook message from people talking about how much they 
love the podcast, how much they like their podcast, how much they appreciate it, or the Renegade Detroit Investor Meeting. So I need your help. So the story is I started the podcast to get out of trying to find a speaker for the meetings because I'd backed myself in a corner. If you can imagine trying to get someone as busy as like Alan Daniels. Now, he was different. He was reliable. He was my guy I can call when everybody else didn't show up. But life happens, things happen, people don't show up. Anyway, fast forward a year, this podcast is too big to do nothing with, but it's kind of too small to keep doing what we're doing. I half expected this thing to go nowhere, and I just wrap it up, and I keep the meeting the way it was, which is without a speaker, focused on deals and networking. And it didn't go that way. It took off. We're we're coming up on 10,000 listens here in the next week or two. We're going to get it. So do me a favor. If you like this rate it on iTunes, and then share every episode that you can, right? So I'm not asking for financial or anything like that. Just share it. Let's get the numbers up so I can monetize this in some way, shape, or form that would make sense to continue doing it. Now, I'm not, this is not a fear thing. I'm not going to stop doing it, right? I said I would do it for a year. It kind of took off. I'm going to do it for another year. But for to get where we need to go, I won't be able to do it. You will have to help me. You'll have to share. You'll have to push the numbers up. You'll have to rate on iTunes. Um, that that's how this thing works, right? When it, when it's something is free, it is consumer driven, and it's kind of up to you to to get the word out. So if you haven't already, subscribe, rate it, and share every episode across whatever you're using. You have my permission to put it in your blog to do whatever you want. Um, let's just get the numbers up so we can have a greater second year. All right. I don't want you to be late for your dinner, but let's make sure. Oh, you do right across the top land contract worksheet smile. Yeah. I love that yeah. smile and dial. Well, this, smile this and is, sign. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't know how much longer you want to talk about this stuff, but um, you know, I think if, if someone's looking to get into to buying notes, I mean, if you know, we do buy them. So if someone has, is aware of someone wanting to sell, absolutely. I mean, they can let us know, um, you know, they, they really can just call and give me the, the lead and I'll, I'll work it. But if they want to get basic information, I mean, you you know, you can get a copy of the land contract if they'll give it to you, um, you know, or if they won't, you know, if you're not able to do that, maybe find out the, the terms, um, you know, maybe a little bit about the property as well, how many bedrooms, where it is, or, you know, if you find out where it is, I can usually with public record, find the rest, um, you know, find out, uh, you know, in addition to the terms, are the people paying on time and are they up to date, meaning the, the payer, the vendee. Uh, ask if they're also up to date on their taxes and insurance. Uh, find out if the person selling owes anything on the property um, because they may still have a mortgage. You know, maybe the reason they want to sell it is uh, they still owe on a mortgage and they found out about their due on sale clause, or maybe they, you know, ended up selling the property for less on the contract than what they owe, which is really a dilemma that <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't envy them. No. Um, you know, another uh, thing, you know, would be maybe they owe on a on an underlying land contract and, you know, maybe we can buy that one at a discount too. Um, and then another question. Wait, wait, wait. And, Have you ever done that? 
we, we yeah, we bought both ends before. What? Sometimes you, I mean, the classic. So there was like yeah, land yeah, contract. But the classic wraparound too. I you know, I mean, it used to be when I started, there were still assumable mortgages. So someone would sell on a land contract, they owed an underlying mortgage. So let's say you know in 1978 or let's say 1985, they sold a property on a land contract before 86, because that's when the dual sales became mandatory. But um, so in 85, they sold a property on a land contract for let's say you know. Uh, I don't know, 70,000 with 20,000 down. And they were getting in those days, interest rates were higher, maybe 10 and a half percent, but they were still paying on an underlying mortgage of 35,000 at 4% because it was originated in 73, you know, on a 30 year mortgage or something, um, you know, before the Carter years and things went way up. Um, you know, so then, you know, I mean, even if you bought that at par, you're earning 10 and a half, but you're, you know, but you're not paying the whole amount because you you can assume for $45 assumption fee, simple assumption with no personal liability, that underlying mortgage. So you're making the spread between the 10 and a half and the 4% or whatever I said it was. But if you can buy that at a discount, it, you know, it's even better. So, but if it was a, an underlying more underlying land contract that was held by an individual, not only, you know, if there was an interest rate spread, you'd get that, you'd have also have a new lead and say, you know, you know, do you really want to wait 20 more years for your money? How about if I pay you off now at X amount discount? So you enhanced your yield that way. Now, again, the property still got to be able to support it because, you know, if it's not a good deal, it's not a good deal. But sometimes you could turn a, a marginal deal into a, a good one that way. Um, you know, so there, um, you know, so you want to find out what they owe and, and, you know, for a lot of reasons. Um, another question, and, and this one, um, I, I I don't know if I got this from someone else or if I just sort of trial and error uh, aired it myself, but whether you're at, talking to a seller that wants to sell a piece of property or sell a note, um, there's sort of a way you can fra phrase something uh, that's two questions in one. Uh, what do you want to sell it for? Okay, so you... You know, you're asking them what's their price. What yeah. would they take? But you're doing it, and if they say, um, "Well, what would you offer?" You're in that who's who goes first type thing. I don't like that. But yeah. what did you want to sell it for? Also means why did you want to sell it? Doesn't it? Oh, it's not the best grammar. That's true. That's but, sneaky. But what for? What was the reason? So they may answer it that way. Or rather than get in this tug of war on the price, I'm sorry, I, I used poor grammar. You know, why do I should? Why don't I? Why do you want to sell it? Oh, I want to sell it because this is an estate, and I've got to settle. You know, settle the estate. Oh, how many heirs? Well, there's twelve of us. Okay, well, twelve thousand divided by twelve heirs makes a negotiation of twelve thousand equals one thousand each. You know, so, you know, from their point of view, you know, because people tend to look at it from not the group perspective, but what's in, what am I getting? Yeah. You know, what but from a buyer's you standpoint, you know, so, you know, so I think, you know, if that's the tip of the day, um, you know, that could be, uh, now if I start losing deals because, uh, because <laughs> of grammar, <laughs> but anyway, I don't think so. Right. Um, you know, but I, I think, you know, that I actually have that, you know, you know, I think grammar correct would change that, but, um, you know, but can you tell me about the property? I mean, that's open-ended. Um, you know, I mean, 
you know, it could be when they bought it, you know, it could be, well, it was grandma's, it was in my family, I inherited it, could be, oh, this is, you know, the the worst property we ever lived in, we were so glad we sold it, and we can't believe these people bought it, <laughs> you know. Yeah, uh, you know, I'm glad you let me know that. You know, yeah, um, but, you know, why, you know, why did you sell it on land contract? You know, especially if they're just... Um, you know, if they're if it's a new land contract, they're selling. Well, why? You know, if they want cash, why did they sell it? Oh, well, it was it was listed for six years with you know seven different realtors, and we couldn't sell it for cash. So finally, I gave up and sold it on a land contract. And I want to sell the paper as quick as I can because if I get this property back, it's going to be like gum on my shoe. You know, do you, you probably really, don't want that no, one, right? I, you know, so so what? You know what? But if someone says, "Well, I really thought the interest attracted me." Um, but now that I see that, you know, I really, I don't like being the bank and if, you know, if they're an hour late or, you know, then, you know, or the, you know, if, it, if the payments due on Friday and it's not there by Monday, you know, I, you know, even if it's before the late fee, you know, I, I don't sleep. Okay. Well, that's, you know, that's, I mean, okay, well, great. You know, that's a good reason to sell. Um, or, well, you know, and then other people say, well, if I, you know, if, if you add up all the principal and interest, you're going to make, you know, the balance is 70000 but you're going to make, you know, 180000 over the 30 years of this land contract. Well, yeah, but you're not guaranteed during that interest if they pay it off early. You know, so sometimes you can be a smart aleck. You'd, you'd say smart ass. Uh, but but <laughs> Thank smart you. Alan. No, uh, you, you know, <laughs> but, uh, you know but, but sometimes, you know, you could say, so if you have a contract that pays a dollar a year for a million years, you want me to pay a million dollars for that one? You know, and sometimes they're too stupid to understand that you're making fun of them. Yeah. You know, but... But I mean, obviously the time, you know, but usually, you know, it, it doesn't pay to be, a, you know, you might win a debate, but you're not going to win a customer by being a smart aleck. So usually what I say when someone starts talking about all the interest you're going to earn over that time is I say, well, you know, um, you know, the way this usually works, if you, you know, is sort of like a U.S. savings bond is you look at the face amount and then, but there's a, a time value or a present value calculation. So just like you could buy a hundred dollar bond for maybe $68 or $73 and 47 cents today, it's similar to your land contract. And they said, well, I'm not taking a penny less than that. Okay, well, that's fine. I mean, if you want, I can crunch the numbers and then, you know, obviously things could change in the future. But if you want to have an idea of what your asset would be worth, if you needed to liquidate or wanted to liquidate, I'm happy to do that for you. Um, or if, you know, if, if you know, um, well, why won't you buy it for this? Well, because you've got a 2% land contract with no clause for forfeiture or whatever. You know, so I, I mean, sometimes, you know, in the back of your head, you're saying things. Other times you have people... Um, that they're just fishing for like a free appraisal too. And sometimes, yeah. you know, you've run that in real estate too. They All just the want time. to know comps yeah. and, you know, and you do the work. And so you got to balance your time. Which is funny because if they just called me for comps, I'd probably give it to them. But instead, but, they feel like they have to be deceitful. But yeah. yeah, it happens all the time. No, and we get this with land contracts too. You know, particularly, you know, sometimes it's someone going into a nursing home. So, in order for them to get, you know, uh, you know, whether it's Medicare or whatever, to pay for something, you know, they have to have, uh, you know, know what their assets are because the, you know, the government might or maybe a private insurance company may may make them deplete their their assets or find out what they're worth. And, you know, so in in that, you know, sometimes I'm, you know, depending on what I'm doing, um, if I, how many balls I have in the air, uh, can I say that I'm reading, you know, <laughs> uh, you know, um, 
how many other this, deals are going on? You're getting into the spirit of the <laughs> yeah, podcast, yeah, Alan. Yeah. I feel like you found uh, yourself here. Yeah. In any event, you know, you know, you might do that because you know, again, you know, people know other people, and if you have a reputation of, you know, of being honest, ethical, and helpful, and and you also have capital, that tends to you know be good for business. Um, so you know, a lot of times I I do you know, I'm probably too nice and, you know, but I think a lot of people are, but I think, you know, I, I think Warren Buffett actually said, you know, he says no to most things. And, you know, so the, I think there has to be a, a, a midway and, and I'm, I'm probably not real good at saying no. Um, but you know, I guess there's worse things. Worse yeah. Things I tend that, to be, I tend to be nice too. Despite I mean, I'm doing exterior. two of your podcasts yeah. and I'll speak for exactly. <laughs> should have said no. Yeah. No. You should have. Yeah. yeah. Instead you're stuck here. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, there's other things, you know, you can ask the seller, have they driven by the property since they sold it? Um, you know, cause that can, you know, especially if it's far away, <laughs> you know, if they're calling you from the UP, you're not going to drive by at lunchtime to see it. Um, you know, if they know values in the area, ask, you know, also, um, you know, do they know if the buyer is living there or if they rent it out? Because, you know, that has some compliance to it too, because there's part of Dodd-Frank that says somebody has to be in default for 120 days, 120 days late before you can start an action. Um, but that wouldn't apply to a landlord. Mm. Um, you know, and judges may or may not be aware of it. Um, but I, I, you know, it is in Dodd-Frank and it, and, land contract seller financing is considered in the definition of residential mortgage transaction, the installment sales contract. And then they also have other equivalent consensual security interest. And that's where, in my opinion, lease option would fall into. I would agree with you. At least I think the Elizabeth Warrens of the world, (laughs) that's just how people are going to look at it, whether it is or it isn't. I just think you're right on that. That's that's why you persuaded me. And I was like, you know what? I just, the wind changed and it took me a few years to pick up on the change in the wind and you made a compelling argument. I'm like, well, shit, I think he's right about this. Yeah, it's like, it's not the way it was yeah. before. No, I, I wish I was wrong and, you know, and that, but I, I think, you know, we're just in a regulatory environment and Reality's rules reality. are. Now it's possible that, you know, that just like, a, you know, the pendulum of uh, the culture, the pendulum, you know, I mean, who would thought that in the Carter administration, there'd be a federal law that preempted state usury laws. But in 1981 or 82, there was that law. And the reason being the prime rate was like 19 or 20 and, you know, Michigan usury law, you know, 11 or whatever, uh, in some cases, seven, you know, no loans were being made. So if you had a federal preemption, at least the bank, federally chartered banks, you know, could issue credit cards. They could issue mortgages. I mean, they weren't affordable or <laughs> did, you know, impact the price of properties, but, but you did have that law. You wouldn't predict under a democratic administration and Tip O'Neill was the speaker of the house, I believe at the time. Uh, and I think the Senate was democratic too, if I'm not mistaken, cause it didn't change till Reagan. Um, you, you know, this, this happened. So, um, yeah, I think it was 80 because Car- uh, Reagan came in in January of 81 when he was inaugurated. So I think it was 80, but uh, again, you know, so, so you may have, um, if it, you know, if, if things, you know, when consumers see that they can't get loans or they can't yeah. buy prop, you know, it's going to come from the grassroots. Um, and then there may be some change and some of this may be more common sense, but it's going to be a slow process. Um, Washington doesn't move fast. The state moves a little faster, but most of the bad stuff or the, I guess the restrictive things, you know, for bad is in the eye of the beholder. Absolutely. Um, but, um, most of the most restrictive stuff comes from federal and it's a lot harder to change. Well, yeah. And 
still very few people lend in Detroit and almost nothing on less than $50,000. So from the point of helping the first time home buyer in the city of Detroit, when almost all the real estate is worth less than $50,000, there's some new stuff coming up. Yeah. They really just got rid of it. And well, made an all the, cash the tough market. thing there is, um, is mo- because there's, uh, the government has put in huge restrictions on high cost lending and, on a low loan amount, because the triggers for high cost are are both dollars and percent, and obviously on a small loan, yeah, title insurance, closing itself, appraisal, those fixed dollar, you know, that you know, these costs that just, you know, even recording fees, you know, they're the same amount regardless of whether it's a million dollar house in many cases uh, or a, a low value house. Um, doing small loans puts a bank or credit union or whoever in the high cost. So I think, you know, that's why you're seeing, you know, well, you know, I mean, the intention of this law was not to create uh, the, you know, the uh, endangered species of loans in particular ge- geographic areas. They call it a mortgage um, desert. But, but lenders for both um, what I'll, I'll say um, reputational uh, risk you know, they don't want to be labeled as high cost lenders. I mean, no. that's not a positive because, you know, the synonym for that was predatory. And, um, you know, although they're, you know, an economic argument is it's risk-based pricing and that's okay, but, you know, not, not, not reputationally. But again, you know, lend, lenders are going to have a policy against making high, high cost loans. And so that factors into it somewhat. And then the other is, you know, if, uh, if lenders, you know, that there's a, a sling that's going around, um, not just too big to fail, but it's too small to comply. Yeah. And that is, you don't, you don't, you're not, you can't, you're too small. You can't afford an in-house attorney. So your, your choice is you're just not going to lend. That's a damn good point. That's what most, that's what I did. Right. When they did, I'm like, I guess I'm out of land contracts. Yeah. So how can I well, possibly and, and, afford and, and to and do I, it? When I was on that IFARC committee and insurance and finance advisory rules committee, <laughs> you know, our goal was to try to make Michigan regulations more uh, efficient for, for job creation. And, you know, one of the banks that was, uh, had a member on this committee too, um, you know, he brought up to the, um, regulator, uh, who was the director of licensing and regulator, regulatory affairs, uh, Laura, um, he, the, the banker mentioned that, you know, we were accomplishing because of federal law, some job creation, it, but it wasn't really anything that's going to add to their bottom line or help consumers. It was, they hired another compliance attorney in the bank, you know, because of, it wasn't the state law, it was yeah. federal law. But what our goal was to try to identify maybe some obsolete or outdated uh, state laws or state laws that went beyond the federal, um, you know, mandate, unless there was good reason for it. Like, you know, Michigan being the Great Lakes state, you know, maybe some water regulations might be better than, you know, federal where it's geared maybe towards the desert. In other respects, maybe Michigan should be even with the federal. So, I mean, but it, our choice was to identify and then maybe get rid of some of those rules and laws. And, and we did that, um, you know, so, um, but the federal is, is really, really tough to do. Yeah. I don't see, uh, you gotta, you have to be huge. And then a lot of times too, they're doing, they're doing racial math now too. They don't see an, they, all they see is the skin color. They don't see an economic or a financial or even a worry about the cost of the loan. 
and now you're doing loans and then they make it racial. It, for all those reasons, it, it, lots of people just don't want to touch Detroit less than $50,000 now because they're too damn scared. They're going to end up on Vox or Huffington Post or something like that. And now you got this whole market just not being served at all. It's all a cash market. Yeah, I think you know it's possibly an unintended con, yeah. you know, uh, consequence of, of, of some of the other regulations. And I think there might be a way to laser focus. Um, I think some of the lenders, you know, are, um, you know, I, I don't remember the brand name, but, you know, Chase and others have a, a partnership where they're doing, you know, smaller loans and, and, and um, you know, now the risk is that they might be going over 100% loan to value, which brings in, you know, another thing that caused the crisis. Now, the theory is, is if they do it, you know, a community or neighborhood rather than house by house and can work on the comps rather than just one house, that there will be appreciation. But, you know, uh, you know, sometimes you, you get into these things and it yeah. doesn't make business I'm sense. But, but I think that's a topic probably for another podcast. Not going to get and, into uh, it. Yeah. You know, so I will uh, say though, if they would throw me in jail for doing it, but they think it's a good idea if they're doing it, they probably need to rethink it. <laughs> okay. That would be my only comment on that. Right or wrong. Somebody needs to rethink the, rethink the whole thing, top to bottom. Cause if it's illegal for one, but legal for another, it doesn't make any sense. So, um, I know there was something you wanted to cryptically allude to because you can't say oh, it now. Yeah, let me check the internet and see if there's been a press release issue. Yeah, let's do let's do it real quick because I'll, yeah. I'll look real quick. But um, no, I think what we'll do is just put that in the show notes. Okay, but, no problem. But I've been told both. Uh, I I may have a, a new rule um, within the state and uh, also uh, with uh, a, a national trade association coming up, and uh, hopefully I'll we'll. Uh, when, when, as soon as I'm allowed to talk about it, I will. Will do. I appreciate okay. it. Was there anything that you wanted to talk about that we didn't cover? Well, I mean, I, I think. And we, you can plug yourself. You're allowed to plug your, give me all yeah, this time. I, mean, I, I Absolutely. think, um, you know, I, I'd be, you know, we do have capital. We've got real estate knowledge. If there's landlords out there that, uh, you know, have properties um, that, uh, you know, they, they I guess they fit the, the, the criteria of the other banks, but they've got too many loans, so to speak. They borrowed all the cheap money they can, but want to continue to leverage themselves. Um, we'd be happy to talk to them. If you've got uh, paper you want to sell, uh, you know, that's fine. Uh, you know, give us a call, 248-335-6166. And uh, that wasn't a very good commercial, but... Uh, I'll do a better <laughs> job. Okay, thank you. Yeah, I'll do a better job. You know what, folks? If you're going to get into this and you're going to do this, first... You can consult with them for a fee, and trust me, whatever he charges is not going to be enough. You're going to get a bargain. So. Well, and they might get a little bit free, like a junkie would give them, you know, or you know, or like a dealer would give to yeah. Them. So, yeah. I mean, well, I'm you get not the first get a, hit for free, yeah. <laughs> and all subsequent hits are going to cost um, X amount of money. If you're looking to borrow money, if you're looking to buy, fix, flip, not his favorite thing to do. Um, but buy, fix, and hold, and you're a reasonable person, and you have some experience. Um, Definitely reach out. He's a reasonable guy. At least if he tells you no, you'll know exactly why and you'll have some way to change it so you can come back in the future and get to yes. If you're thinking about the land contract thing at all, I can't tell you how many people I've tried to dissuade from this and or lease options. I know I'm on the other side now. I used to be on the other side, but hey, these things change. Call him. Whatever. If it's going to be a business model, pay the money. He'll answer some things for free. Um, otherwise just a really good dude too. take him out to lunch, say hi. He's bailed me out lots of times with the RDI thing. When your speakers can't show up 
And actually, when I was was the night I was arrested at RDI. Yeah, I was going to say where you bailed me out. Yeah, sort of. Uh, yeah, literally. There, there was um, a night, uh, you know, that uh, I was setting up the uh, computer, connecting it to the projector, and uh, you know, next thing I know, Jeremy's in the parking yeah, lot. Two and, Wayne County sheriffs yeah. came in and got me. It was for missing a court date, so it was nothing terrible, terrible, but yeah, it was embarrassing. Yeah, well, you had a lawyer in the audience, and uh, I told, asked him if he'd go out and check, and he came back and he said it was. You know, it's a civil matter. I said, okay, I guess I'll do, go ahead and do the speaking. <laughs> if it's I, criminal, you're yeah. like, no more. <laughs> I'm like, okay, yeah. well, they are the renegades, you know. Yeah. But actually, I mean, that was something, I mean, before I spoke, I was, you know, I did attend one of your meetings and, uh, you know, your wife will probably remember I I, I didn't really want to give uh, – um, my credit card because I, you know, I paid in cash. Yep. <laughs> I didn't want to give you all my information. It's probably yeah. smart. You yeah. didn't know, right? Yeah, I didn't know. You know, I didn't know about you know what was going on. But uh, you know, but uh, I, I'm glad we've met. Uh, you really, you know, that was the first presentation I gave uh, in a long time. I had done it in the past and got away from doing it. I did it in the pre PowerPoint where we actually had an overhead way back when. And so it was the first PowerPoint I did. It went well. And then, um, you know, we took a variation of that session and got it approved by the state for, for Con Ed. And uh, now I'm doing Con Ed for both realtors and uh, mortgage loan originators. So um, I want to thank you for that. And, uh, you know, I appreciate it. And I'm happy to pinch it uh, anytime somebody doesn't show up. Well, I really appreciate it. It was not an accident. You were number one, the first one I did and the one I wanted to do on the anniversary. I don't know if I'm going to do it every year because I don't want, I don't know. We'll see how it goes, but I like tradition and I wanted you to be the first. And for the first year of the podcast, since I never expected to really get here, I wanted to have you back on too. So well, my pleasure. Folks, Alan Daniels, 248-335-6166. That's Alan, A-L-L-A-N, Daniels at gmail.com. Go to drdanielsandson.com, cash for the number four, landcontracts.com. Give them a call. Give them some business. And if nothing else, just tell them how awesome this podcast was because he did take a couple hours this day, and we really appreciate it. All right. Thanks, Alan. I really do. I appreciate your time and for the one year anniversary. I think this is awesome. So thanks, dude. And as I wrap up this podcast, I do want to take a moment to encourage you to take the steps you need to become financially independent. I know I do it every week. I'm going to keep doing it every week till you fucking do it. Come on, man. The government's not going to take care of you. Mommy and daddy aren't going to take care of you. You got to take care of you. Take some responsibility for your life. Pick a goal. I don't care where you're starting. I've started from the bottom twice. It's not fun. Just pick something wait, get something and do it. Build up a string of successes and then get after life. Okay, folks, do something every day, or as we say in Detroit, every day to get you closer. And I want to thank you for listening. Um, without you guys, this podcast would be nothing. And I'm not, I'm not just saying that. Um, this was an experiment. I had no idea where it was going to go. And I think it might go somewhere with your help. And until I catch you on the next podcast, crush it.